smash right in and you know what that means wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run we're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week audible mac weldon and squarespace squarespace they bring the show to you dlc of course the show all about games in their many forms games played on desktops laptops and consoles and also games that involve dice luck and cardboard i'm your host jeff canada that's spelled with two n's and one t and i'm joined as always by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis the guy who always believed a 16 could take down a one because he tries to do it on this show every week mr christian spicer hello christian are you saying that i'm a 16 and you're a one yeah yeah that's the that's the analogy i was making see it was it was like a it was like a a fun reference but also like a a, a cool diss like a zinger. i get it and then we'll wait for your parting gift and people will realize that your <laughs> opinions are inv- invalid and uh without We'll just swap. No, but, no worries. But in this analogy, the 16 beats the one. So I don't know what I'm saying. Hey, let's just put it this way. That anytime you name your college, your mascot, a retriever, and you have adorable little dogs as your mascot, I'm going to fall in love with you, you regardless of where you're ranked in the NCAA well, tournament. As long as you fall in love with me, that's all I care about. <laughs> uh, we have an amazing show Folks, uh, this is going to be a big one. We're going to be talking about God of War. We're going to be talking about Nino Cooney 2. We're going to be talking about Fortnite on mobile. We got bonus content at the end of the episode. My interview with Corey Barlog, the lead designer. Street Fighter? Uh, no, you're thinking of M. Bison, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the lead designer of God of War, I sat down with him uh, and had a really interesting interview about the game. That's going to be bonus content at the end of the show, but we also have an awesome guest. This is somebody I've wanted to have on the show for a long, long time. I'm so glad we got him. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Divine Light Circle because he's a game designer (laughs) working on Halo over at 343 Industries, but once upon a time, he was a podcaster on one of yours. And uh, four guys, one up. Uh, our old buddy, Mr. David Ellis, joins us for the first time. Hey, Dave. Hey, welcome. Uh, I'm welcoming myself to the podcast. It's been a long time since I've had a chance to do this. Get on the mic. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, as I was telling you before we got on the mic, I actually had to run out and get a new USB cable because at some point when I moved, I got rid of my USB cable for my podcasting mic. But I went out, got it, because you're worth it. Oh, I love it. Uh, thank you for saying that. I'm so excited to have you on the show, uh, and you're not here to, you know, to to shill about a game or anything. You're just here to hang out and talk about video games and the news and all the stuff we do on the show. I love it. I'm so excited. Absolutely. I can't make any promises. I won't shill, just so everyone knows. <laughs> I do work for Microsoft, so if I talk about anything Xbox or Microsoft, take it through that lens. I'm not here to advertise, but... Wait, through what lens? Through a hollow lens? Oh, a hollow lens. <laughs> Halo 6 hollow lens confirmed, everybody. We did it. Did we you actually... News. I have to say, speaking of, did you guys go through the hollow lens theater we had at E3 for Halo 5 back in yeah, 2015? I did. It was amazing. 
Yeah, it's like one a of the Disneyland. coolest things. Yeah, that was one of the coolest things I've ever had a chance to do. Uh, and I, I just worked it, but I felt like I was working at Disneyland for the week. Yeah, just just the idea of like following a waypoint in the real world was a pretty amazing thing. Um, but yeah, it was, and I guess for people, most people who didn't get a chance to go, we had this theater set up where people came in and actually put on uh, hollow lenses and actually it was set up like they were actually getting a briefing from Commander Palmer from the game before they went in and played it. And they were like, like you said, there was waypoints, it was hollow table. It was pretty dang There's cool. There's a, a part where you like look through a window and see down onto a hangar where they're, you know, putting warthogs onto carriers and stuff. And of course, in the real world, it's just a wall. <laughs> but through the HoloLens, it looks like you're looking through this window and it's, it really, you made me realize what this technology is going to be like. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing. The fact that I was not tethered to anything, just walking around the real world and it knew to place things on actual places in that, in that actual environment. Oh man. So I'm, I'm very excited for AR and I hope the HoloLens becomes an actual product at some point. Boy, I'm really good at shilling. I've already got you talking about HoloLens. <laughs> Halo, I've already worked it in there. Yeah. Boy, I'm good at this. You are good, man. They gotta, they gotta <laughs> give you a raise. Uh, all right. Let's get started and uh, talk about uh, the news in a segment we call Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week. It's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of video games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by using our subreddit that's over there at 5x5dlc.reddit.com. It's where you can also talk about the show, chat with uh, cool folks that also listen to the show and talk about video games. Anything, anything goes over there on the Reddit. David, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. Uh, what would you consider to be your story of the week? It's a tough one because, I mean, the 800-pound elephant in the room is Fortnite. It seems to be the only game anyone's talking about, like, outside of gaming, inside of gaming. Yeah. It's pretty phenomenal. I, I was watching the other night uh, when Drake popped in to stream Fortnite on Twitch with Ninja. Yeah, you and right. 499,999 of your closest friends or, or so were, uh, were watching. That was, a, I guess it was even more than that. I, it's like over 600,000 people, which broke yeah. this, the, the Twitch record for, uh, streams. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I was, my wife and I are watching through Lost. Uh, it's her first time watching through it. I'm rewatching it after a couple of years. So we've been pretty much binging it every night. And I was trying to explain to her because my wife, who, not in games. She's a, she's a nurse. God bless her. She's working tonight at the hospital. Uh, and I'm trying to explain everything about this. And, uh, and, and even she and her coworkers are hearing about it. So you know something has broken well outside of the gaming bubble um, to mainstream. Like everyone's talking about it. And boy, Wes uh, <laughs> and Nick over at Epic, who are buddies of ours, I know them from back in the day when uh, Nick was at Destructoid, and Wes used to do PR for Capcom. They're handling PR for uh, Fortnite, and they they just have to be riding Cloud9. I saw Wes was in Charlotte at the NCAA tournament today talking about the UMBC. Uh, he set up a stream where they were talking to Ninja before the game. Um, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, Fortnite is really uh, taking over the world, and, and here we were on this show, uh, I don't know, a few months ago, 
trying to say that there's no way Fortnite could overtake PUBG in popularity, but look, lo and behold, it's happening. Um, so just in case you were living under a rock this week, I'll catch you up on what happened. Ninja, who is a popular Twitch streamer uh, who streams, who focuses mainly on Fortnite, managed to invite Drake, the rapper extraordinaire, uh, onto his stream. And it absolutely blew up. They started playing Fortnite. They were um, joined by um, uh, Travis Scott and Pittsburgh Steelers wide, rece- wide receiver uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. And at its peak, the stream hit 635,000 concurrent viewers, uh, just demolishing the previous record. Dr. Disrespect had uh, 388,000. Um, and, uh, it, it really became a mainstream story. What do you guys think? I'll start with you, Dave. What do you think beyond the fact that Fortnite is now, I think really a mainstream game and, and really has taken, uh, the, the spotlight of popularity as far as a streamed game, a played game, a popular title, do you think this has a broader cultural impact in gaming in general and in in streaming gaming specifically? What do you think is the the actual impact of this moment? Well, I you know, it's hard to to make any kind of prediction as to what effect it'll actually have. I can imagine there are a lot of PR reps for C and D tier celebrities that are quickly trying to get their Twitch accounts set up so they can start streaming Fortnite because you're going to have a lot of copycats, a lot of people trying to replicate this this occurrence, which by all accounts was just random. It wasn't set up. It wasn't like a paid marketing gimmick. Uh, I think a lot of people thought it was initially, but it just kind of happened orga- organically. And there's nothing PR people like more than organic viral happenings. And this is by far the biggest that I've seen recent history. Um, and it's by far the biggest game streaming thing I've seen of merging of celebrity and sort of the gaming world at large. I think it's it's huge. You're probably going to see a lot of other celebrities hopping in. I I would imagine that'll happen and the different levels of success um, because this one rang true. And I think that's a lot of people why they tuned in and were checking it out because it was like at its best when you're watching someone stream games, you feel like you're actually there in the room on the virtual couch, just hanging out with them while they're playing games. And I think this represented that. Yeah. It really was a a, a highlight of the difference between television and live streaming. Um, And I can imagine, you know, you talk about this thing happening organically. I can imagine the PR people like, all right, we want to have our own organic. How do we manufacture organic? (laughs) Uh, uh, Christian, you, would not shut up about this uh, for the last several days. This is this was a this, you were bopping off the walls about this. Do you, you really do think this is a seminal moment for not just Fortnite, not just streaming, but for video game culture, right? Yeah, I think it's huge. I mean, we've certainly had celebrities playing and streaming games before. Snoop has been you know playing and streaming games for a while. Hunter Pence, the baseball player. Um, plays and he had Steph Curry on recently and they were playing Mario Kart 8 on Switch I believe um Freddie Prince Jr streams quite often he's a very prolific Twitch streamer and, and gamer and so cuz we're at this generation now where we grew up with games and so celebrities game and it's real and it's legit and it's not this manufactured of like I like that video 
that Mario and like you just hear dumb jokes that don't work or whatever. These are people that are in the scene in the community and love it. And then having this thing happen with, with Ninja and Drake come together. Um, like David said, you know, his wife heard about it at the hospital. It was on USA today. Every mainstream paper was covering it. And you have this thing where here is one of the biggest celebrities alive right now. He had an absolutely phenomenal, you know, hosting of SNL. Like he can do everything. Um, God's plan, the video is just blowing up, uh, and where he gave all of the production money away for the video to people. And that's what they did the video of. And he just, Drake stays in the news cycle. And then to have this happen where he just jumps on stream and is playing and clearly plays the game and is a fan of the game and knows what he's talking about as he's calling things out for Ninja, pointing different places on the map where Ninja says like, you know, we're going to go over to Tomato Town. Like Drake immediately breaks that way. It's not, I'm going to follow you and see where you go. Or he's, he's picking up supplies to share with him. He knows when Ninja's out of something, there's real communication. What I think is most fascinating about it, or maybe not most, but on par with everything else is here. You have one of the biggest celebrities alive right now playing a game unscripted for whatever it was, three, four hours. And everything that I heard, I watched a lot of it. And then reading the news cycles afterwards, this is a competitive game where tensions get high and you hear all these stories about all these horrible people playing games, yelling slurs and curse words and all this horrible stuff that comes out of it. And and none of that happened here. I mean, they cursed some, but there weren't uh, slurs. There were uh, a lot of homophobia. N words weren't dropped when they shouldn't have been dropped. Like all the things that could have been potential landmines for this. As you talk about, like David talked about, like Epic PR being happy. You know, somewhere Drake's PR was just like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. Because <laughs> um, Travis Scott certainly doesn't hold his tongue, uh, in, you know, as a rapper and producer. And here they just played a game. They just played a game together, like a group of friends. And, um, yeah, it's huge. I don't know if it's going to be continue to be Fortnite, but you're going to see, I think you are going to see some copycats trying to do this, but I think more and more with the success of this, you're going to see people allowing their celebrity clients to also do things like this when it's something they already do, uh, and just go out and play games and talk about it like you would anything else. Just like you'll see a celebrity courtside at the Lakers game or whatever, right. or courtside March Madness, you're going to see a celebrity playing video games and that elevates gaming in a way that um you know it's hard for regular people to do where your mom can't be like oh you're gonna go play game or like when e3 starts no mainstream media could be like it's a geek convention <laughs> or comic-con where all the nerds it's like no yeah not that. oh they're not still that. gonna do it but that's so dated that's so yeah. hack right well, I totally agree with you. I, I, you were talking about the fact that there was no one saying anything completely inappropriate, and you were talking about sort of the perception of the, the PR people maybe being worried about them playing games, and it, it actually makes me think about there's been a conversation about YouTube and, uh, and, and the gaming realm of YouTube and how it's been difficult for people to actually maintain advertisers because there's this element of toxicity around certain groups of people that are sort of tangentially related to gaming. And it's been really interesting to see that this is kind of not to put too fine a, too, uh, too fine a point on it, but it's this really nice, positive news story. And you know, the world needs a little bit of that right now. And I think it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, <laughs> I don't want to find the cloud inside the silver lining, but um, it does, there's a part of me that sees the comparison to podcasting. 
uh, when, you know, there were a bunch of us doing podcasting in, you know, 2007, 2008, and we were in this little bubble world of, uh, very nerdy techie podcasting. And then at a certain point, you know, a couple years in, it was discovered by main, the mainstream celebrity world, you know, and, uh, all of a sudden mainstream, uh, comedians and film stars and all kinds of people started making their own podcast too. And it's great. It's been a big tent and it has expanded podcasting in a large sense, but it also has, I think, changed the dynamic in a way that, um, makes celebrity a really important part of it. Uh, and I worry mm-hmm. that there will be a, a certain expectation of, of that among, in order to, you know, do well, you'll sort of have to have sort of mainstream media celebrity as a, a part of the, of the formula in order to uh, be a popular streamer at a certain point. I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to manufacture problems on what is clearly a, a very positive story, but uh, it does, on one hand, it makes me feel like, Really, we're 2018. We're still like getting excited about a celebrity. I mean, everybody plays video games. It's not a thing anymore. But then on the other hand, I feel like, yeah, now it's going to be if you don't got Drake, who you got? You know, like you got to have somebody popping in, or you're a nobody. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It also reminds me of like the early days of Twitter too, when that was very much kind of an inside thing. There weren't, there wasn't anyone mainstream outside of like the tech industry participating in Twitter. And I think Ashton Kutcher is the first kind of, he was the first really big mainstream celebrity. I remember he was the first one to hit 1 million followers. Yeah. And at that point, Twitter changed forever for better or worse. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Platform. It became a platform about uh, celebrating already uh, people who are already celebrities, but People became Twitter celebrities, and I think you have podcasting celebrities as well. You think you're talking about that. I think the difference between and why I think the Twitter comparisons probably maybe a little bit uh, more of an accurate one. Um, to be successful as a streamer, and I'm not in that realm at all, but I respect a lot of people that do, and I know some people that that, that do it for a living. And the time commitment required to actually be successful as a streamer. Um, is pretty significant. And I can't think of too many celebrities that uh, will have the time. Obviously, when you work in the entertainment uh, area, Jeff, you know this being an actor, you do have a lot of downtime uh, on the set, um, depending on you know exactly what your role is. But right. I can't imagine there are too many celebrities, especially A-tier celebrities that are you know at the peak of their popularity, popularity like Drake, that will have the time to commit to actually being a successful and genuinely entertaining streamer. Yeah. No, it's a, that's a good point. Um, but I think you make a great point with Twitter too. I remember very clearly sitting around in 2006, 2007 and the conversation at that time, which will show you immediately how dated it was. But I remember very clearly having the conversation where we were like all jumping on Twitter going, man, when, when Britney Spears gets on this thing, it's going to be crazy, mm-hmm. you know, cause that was like the most, the biggest celebrity we could imagine at that point. Uh, and of course now it's, it's just a, a moot idea to even it seems quaint to think oh yeah britney spears gets on this thing is going to be crazy um, yeah either way it it, it's a cool she moment. made it toxic though i think good reference good <laughs> reference uh <laughs> very timely um yeah i mean a, a cool moment nonetheless and i think uh, it really is just the tip of the iceberg for what we can expect uh, going forward of how, you know, between esports and accessibility for, for games in a mainstream media context uh, across the board, 
It's just part of the sea change that we're all riding along. So it's a good thing for games. Jeff, if you and Christian talked at all about, uh, and I don't want to belabor too much about Fortnite, but uh, have you talked at all about why you think Fortnite has blown up the way it has? Uh, I'd love to hear your opinion on it if you if you have one. Uh, well, everyone's got an opinion, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I think they're, they're compared something, to something you know, that other people that people also all all have. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, it's definitely something when, you know, obviously we talk about at the studio with other designers. There are some guys on my team that they play Fortnite way more than I do. Um, you know, I play it here and there in a bit, but uh, definitely not as hardcore as some of the guys. Um, it, it's it's interesting. I think it's it's definitely a case of perfect timing. The art style differentiates it quite significantly from PUBG. If mm-hmm. you're a kid who's an early teenager and you're talking to your parents about you're playing this game where you kill people, and you show them PUBG, which yeah. is kind of realistic art style. Obviously, the gameplay is not that realistic in a lot of ways with you know the crazy stuff that happens in PUBG. But uh, I think you had a lot of younger people that were could get their parents to say, hey, it's okay if you play this Fortnite game because it looks like a Pixar movie. Well, um, I, I, I agree with you. Far enough removed away from that. And, obvi- and also, it's free to play. The barrier yeah. to entry is zero. That's what I was going to say. I was like, I agree with you, but... I also think you can't beat the price. Uh, and, yeah, and as many, as much as, you know, what, 20, 30 million people bought PUBG, I understand that most people already own it. But if it's like, hey, we're going to try this other one and you don't have to even buy it, let's all give it a shot. There, that is really the secret sauce, I think, um, for Fortnite is it's free. Uh, and it's on, it was on all the consoles. And if you had anything, it likely could play it. And we'll talk more this week about even more things that can play it now. So yeah, um, it's a pretty amazing phenomenon. Article on Polygon by Charlie Hall. It's why Fortnite Battle Royale surprise success isn't a matter of luck. And Charlie kind of goes through some of the points of, of, of why this wasn't. It seems like a, you know, where did it come from out of left field? But he talks about the conversation they had with Epic when they first showed, um, PVE and what they were talking about, what Fortnite is and what they want it to be. And Charlie recounts how at the time they were like, Oh yeah, okay, whatever. And they didn't really get it. But now seeing Battle Royale, it's this idea that this thing was a platform. It was always meant to be a platform, the way it's going to evolve and what it's going to do. And Epic, you know, a lot of our generation of gamers think of them as the Gears of War company, but after they sold that to Microsoft, they very much became a, we're going to chase, you know, we're going to chase this magic and see if we can get something that pops. So they did, Unreal came back and they, they pursued that. They pursued the, they took a stab at MOBAs with Paragon. They took a stab at, you know, the, the world building thing of Fortnite, which is kind of like trying to ping things from Minecraft and see if it works. And then when they saw Battle Royale blowing up, they were able to put that in. And people forget, I mean, Battle Royale or Fortnite, it definitely has bones of an Unreal shooter in it. You're running, you're jumping, there's rockets. Um, they didn't try to copy uh, PUBG's playstyle in any way, shape, or form. So it's a very oddly familiar run-and-gun approach that... Um, I think it's easy to pick up, but hard to master where I think as PUBG is very slow and deliberate and isn't quite as easy to pick up for a lot of people. And I think that goes a long way in making Fortnite the success that it is. The other and I thing- think the Minecraft point is a really good one too. Cause I think a lot of these kind of younger kids who are probably getting into Fortnite, um, you know, they grew up playing Minecraft. That's a big deal. Uh, yeah. And so I think the sort of the carryover from one to the other, it makes sense. 
yeah, it's like the next uh, demographic. It, you grow into wanting to play something a little more challenging, a little more competitive, perhaps. Um, I I also think it's it's really interesting to note the road to release that Fortnite went through. And I think if you had asked any of us in the, what, six years that it was un- in development, if we thought this thing was going to not 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 only take not take over the world but even be remotely successful i think most games that have that rocky a road to from announcement to release don't end up doing well at all and i think this is a, a big exception in that category I, I don't know of another game that has had as tumultuous a design and development um history that actually ended up being this, you know, it is, it's a Cinderella story. Here we are in March madness with a Cinderella story. Yeah. I think it's a really good point. And you talk about that. It's been so long. So I'm coming up this week on just about, I think to the day, eight years since I joined three, four, three back in 2010. Congratulations. Fortnite was revealed in 2011 at the, <laughs> the old spike VGAs. Yeah. Um, that that's, and it was, and it was introduced by uh, Cliff Pazinski, if I remember correctly. Right. So, wow. I mean, that's how long ago it was. I remember talking to actually bumping into Wes a couple of years ago and asking him, when's Fortnite going to come out? You know? Yeah. And so uh, I'm very happy for everyone associated with the game. I'm happy for everyone at Epic. Um, you, you, when you, when you work on games, you make games, uh, you want to pull for other people. You want uh, as many people as possible to have success. You talk about sort of, you know, celebrities getting into podcasting and, and I'm a firm believer that, the more success there is, the more opportunity there is for others to have success in any medium. And I think this is awesome. Yeah, I suck at Epic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Christian, what is your story of the week? Uh, we don't need to spend a lot of time on it because there's nothing yet, but there's a rumor. And I want to give a shout out to Zav, as, especially as we're talking old uh, old Weekend Confirm and 1UP crew and that extension of the family. Uh, Splinter Cells may be coming back, Zav. Are you excited? It's got leaked, uh, well, rumored as an Amazon Canada listing, and it kind of went up and then got taken down. But it looked like it was posted by Ubisoft. Seems like it's kind of a legit thing. Amazon listings in other countries have certainly leaked reveals before. And it kind of sucks because I think the Splinter Cell could be a heck of a mic drop moment uh, for Ubisoft's E3 conference. And it seems like every year they have their big thing uh spoiled <laughs> like uh, Mario and Rabbids would have been huge last year and that all of that that whole slideshow came out but I love Splinter Cell I like the evolution of the series I like that it it took risks as it went on I loved its multiplayer when it was doing um Merc v Spy it was a really cool mode back in the day and I I'd, I'd love to see the franchise come back in a in a cool way so I hope I hope 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 it's true it's a new game and not like the remap, the Sam Fisher collection or whatever. Yeah, which it very well could be. We don't know for sure anything, anything at all. But it certainly points to a a big new entry in the series. Uh, and what a what an E three if they come. The, the thing you left out, uh, Christian, is that the rumor is not only is there a new Splinter Cell, but it would be released this year. So they would do the Bethesda trademark Bethesda thing where it's like, hey, we're announcing and releasing in the same calendar year, which I, you and I have both been on the record saying we really like that method uh, of, of, you know, don't tease us for 14 years. Um, Halo 6. <laughs> hey, they haven't mentioned anything. Um, <laughs> but what a year, what a year for Ubisoft, uh, theoretically at E3 with uh, both Division 2 and Splinter Cell something. 
um, that could be right there. That's a pretty solid, very exciting um, slate. Just, just, just those two titles. So I, I yeah. hope it's true as well. Um, David, were you a Splinter Cell fan back in the day? Absolutely. Um, there are probably two big franchises. So I, when I was in high school, I definitely was still playing a ton of games in college. Kind of started taking a little bit of a, I was focusing on career, wasn't playing as many games. And, uh, when I got back into gaming, there were two big franchises that, that are, I think are mostly responsible for them. One of them is Halo. Uh, Halo was definitely a game that was critical. Um, but the other one's Splinter Cell. When that game came out, there was, Nothing that looked like that. Obviously, there had been other stealth games, Metal Gear Solid, that had done very well. Um, but Splinter Cell is a big deal. I love those games. Chaos Theory is still probably my favorite in the franchise, especially uh, the co-op elements of Chaos Theory, which there's still, I don't think, any other game that has had quite the same experience for me in a co-op stand as Splinter Cell. So I am I don't know anything about whether this is true or not, so should understand that where I'm coming from, but uh, I definitely am ready for a new Splinter Cell and I'm excited to see what they can do with it. Yeah. Yeah. So say we all, uh, the, uh, my story of the week is uh, a game that we do know is for real. And uh, I'm very excited about, uh, we got the official first teaser for shadow of the tomb Raider, which is the third in the first third game in the first trilogy in the first, Second reboot of the... Uh, anyway, it's the latest Tomb Raider game uh, <laughs> that supposedly will finally end the first chapter of the origin story of the new Lara. Uh, anyway, the first these these first two reboot Lara Croft games have been two of my favorite games of, of the last couple of generations. Uh, we named um, Rise of the Tomb Raider the DLC game of the year, the year it came out. So... It is very much high on my radar, high on our radar. Uh, the 23-second teaser that was released doesn't show much, but it does hint at some Mayan temples. So that seems like the milieu, or at least one of the milieus, that Lara will be involved in. And uh, I like the idea of it being you know, part of a trilogy and kind of closing the door on her origin story, which these reboots have, have really, uh, I think, done a great job in crafting a... a compelling origin story for her. Um, so we'll know more uh, on April 27th. They announced, this was the announcement of the announcement as has become the custom in the industry. Uh, the full announcement will happen April 27th, but the game already does have a release date and that is this year, September 14th, 2018. So we won't have to wait too long to find out more and we won't have to wait too long to actually play the game either. So I'm excited. Uh, David, are you, are you into the Tomb Raiders? You know, it's actually interesting. Um, I, I definitely don't play as many games as I used to when I used to cover them. Um, and so sometimes I'm way behind the curve on certain titles. Others, you know, if I feel like they're, they're super important for my day-to-day work that I sort of check out what everyone else is doing, um, I, I definitely will check them down. I actually just started playing Rise of the Tomb Raider for the first time um, this weekend. Oh, really? Um, and I just started uh, getting into it, and, and so it's actually uh, fortuitous timing. I, I'm pretty sure subliminally this was kind of kind of leaking throughout the week, and people were sort of talking about it a little bit. So I think it was definitely an impetus to get me into it. Um, but you know, it has an update. It's 
Um, I think it's on, I, I downloaded it on Xbox Game Pass, plug, plug, shill, shill, shill. I swear <laughs> I'm not doing this on purpose. Um, and, and I was checking that out because, uh, you know, I have that fancy LG 4K TV, mm. and I like to, to put pretty games on it. And uh, so it's been cool kind of checking that out, getting into it. Uh, I played the first kind of, it's hard to describe it like you were going into it, whether to call this kind of the reboot trilogy, or is it a prequel trilogy, or is it both? Uh, but I played the first one uh, quite a bit, so it's been kind of cool getting into this one and playing it as well. Yeah, it's so good. So good. Uh, Christian, did you watch the 23-second teaser? <laughs> I did. I I'm I, I want to love this game. I'm a little reserved because it's coming from an entirely new team, it seems like. Um, of developers and a new studio making it, um, at least everything that's rumored that we've heard. So it, it, it seems it's interesting to me, right? It's like, here's the conclusion of our trilogy and here's this entirely new team making it. Good luck to them. Um, but I hope, I hope it's great. Yeah. As I said, we'll find out more April 27th. All right. Let's move on now. But I do want to thank our first sponsor. Which is Audible. Um, Audible is the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio, audio information and entertainment programming on the internet. This is what I love. I honestly, I've been an Audible guy for, gosh, a long, long time now. And I use it in a very specific way. I like, I like to read books. Uh, I have a young child now. It's very difficult for me to ha- get the time to read books, but I like to listen to books because then I can be multitasking and do two things at once. I, I have a running stroller now and I take my, my son out on runs every day and I pop in my audiobook and I get uh, another hour or so into my audiobook. I can also do it on a commute or doing chores around the house, just pop in my headphones. It's so simple because, uh, you're able to do, they have whisper sync for voice. You can switch back and forth between reading and listening across all your devices. It knows where you left off. And then if you want to read a little bit before you go to bed or something on your, you know, on your phone or whatever, you can read and then it'll pick up your audio where after where you, where you were reading. It's so slick and so easy. They have free apps for iPhone, iPad, Android, and Windows phone. Um, it's the, the thing that's best about it is the incredibly huge selection of things to listen to. Um, you can get news programs. You can get people reading uh, articles from magazines. You can get uh, all, obviously tons of books across every genre, both fiction and nonfiction. It's really great actually listening to nonfiction on Audible as well. Uh, I've been listening to um, um, uh, Oathbringer, the new, the new book in the uh, Stormlight Archive uh, massive books by Brandon Sanderson. Uh, Oathbringer came out uh, just recently, like last October or November. And uh, it is a massive, cool audiobook. But the cool thing about it is they have multiple readers. So as that book like changes perspectives, um, it, it, it each chapter is a different character's perspective. They'll have like a male reader or a female reader, depending on the character. It's really, really slick, very well done. And all of these are so high quality. That's what makes Audible so amazing is you get these high quality readers who are so good, including me. I, I have an Audible book on, on Audible. Uh, I, uh, I did a book called Traveling in Space a few years ago. It's by Stephen Paul Leva. And you can get that on Audible. And in fact, we'll give you a free audiobook just for 
listening to this show, just for giving it a shot. If you want a free audiobook, Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. So you can just check it out for 30 days, see if you like it, listen to an audiobook, see if you can get hooked, see if it can motivate you like it motivates me to get out there and, and exercise every day because I want to listen to the next bit of my book. All you got to do is go to audible.com slash DLC or check this out. You can text DLC to 500-500 and then browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. You can download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Again, that's audible.com slash DLC or text DLC to 500-500 to get started today. I highly recommend it. You can, you can, you know, listen to something that actually improves your life. Listen to something that entertains you. Keep up to date on the books you want to be reading and all in a very, very easy way. Check it out. It is time to talk about the games we have been playing. And David, you have been playing a game I've been hearing a lot about, actually. Uh, the Darwin Project. This is, is it even out yet? Uh, yeah, so it's out in game preview. I know it's out in game pre- preview for Xbox. I assume it's out on PC. In fact, I've seen some people streaming the PC version uh, primarily, so I'm pretty sure it's out there. It's kind of early access days for this game. Uh, for people who might not be familiar with it, it's uh, it was shown last year at E3 uh, at the Microsoft press conference. Uh, I think there was a little some confusion as to what the game was at the time. And to be honest, I'd kind of forgotten about it till it hit. Um, but there were some folks in the office talking about it, and I decided to check it out. Uh, and I played it, uh, played a couple of hours of it. It's an interesting game. It's uh, for those who don't know, it's it's a battle royale game, but it's pretty different. It's much smaller scale. There's only ten players uh, compared to like a hundred players with you know Fortnite, PUBG, H1Z1 kind of concept for scale. It's it's basically a free for all deathmatch experience. Um, and in this case, it's you know, similar art style to Fortnite, and I think it's also built on Unreal. I might be wrong there, but I think it is. Uh, so it's a third-person game, 10 players, you'll get into it. But kind of the big hook is, uh, you know, like the Hunger Games, you know, like you know other Battle Royale-type uh, concepts, you actually have uh, a host, a game, kind of a game show host that's actually player-controlled where you can actually customize things that are happening in the match, um, which is really interesting. And I actually had a lot of fun with that. I was quite surprised no one else has done it yet hmm. um, besides this game. So, you know, 10 player uh, free for all, we'll call it battle Royale with cheese on a smaller <laughs> scale. It's different. Um, and you know, you only have kind of two main combat abilities. You have an ax, you can swap it out and make it look like a snow shovel, I think, but it basically works the same. So you have a close scale, uh, close quarters melee weapon. And then you also have a bow and arrow. And those mm. are your two attacks. Um, but it also has a little bit of survival aspect to it. To it, So when you first load into the match, you're in this large kind of snowscape, and you have a couple things you have to keep track of. Um, so you're obviously, when you load into it, everyone's kind of like prison inmates, but you can customize your um, your jumpsuit. So if you want the orange jumpsuit, but you can do that. You can change the different color. You have some light customization. I think they're going to actually include, uh, you can be a female character soon. Right now it's just a bunch of dudes killing each other. Um, but you load into it and uh, you don't have any protection from the elements. So you actually kind of a heat meter starts mm-hmm. counting down. So you have an ax. What can you do to kind of fix your heat meter? You can chop down a tree, 
light a fire and that'll sort of recharge that over time. Um, so you have to keep track of some of the survival elements. Fortunately, you don't have to kill food, uh, kill any elk or anything for food um, or anything like that. So it's kind of light survival, um, but it is something you have to keep track of. Hmm. Um, there's other, it seems like the, the two main things you can kind of keep track of is, you know, you can collect, uh, chop down trees for wood, which you can use for a couple of different things. And uh, there are a lot of, seems to be a lot of leather recliners strewn about the environment. I don't know the lore reasons for that, but um, it's kind of goofy, but it's fun. So you can sort of whittle those down. You have some leather. You can then uh, create a sort of a, a kind of a fur cape uh, that will keep you warm so you don't need to, to heat up so often. Um, you have a, a wheel you can bring up at any time to customize your character. Uh, like you can upgrade your axe so it does more damage. Um, I think you can upgrade your bow and arrow so it does more damage. You sort of have to spec your character out as you're collecting all these uh, this sort of uh, gear and stuff around the, the levels. You also have uh, what they call in the game, if I remember correctly, um, I'm actually forgetting. There's kind of a kind of electronic device that uh, usually set up. The I should say the overworld is set up at Hexacono. I think there are one, two, three, four, five six or seven hexagons that, that make up the map. So it's smaller scale than PUBG or Fortnite, but it's still pretty big, especially for 10 players. Uh, in the middle of each one, there's this kind of electronic uh, setup that you can uh, periodically grab to get upgrades for different uh, abilities that you can do. Like you can have teleporters, you can have cloaking devices that you can activate. Uh, but what's interesting is when you're playing, you actually have a human character that's kind of... Uh, they can, they have like their own skill tree that they can use. Um, you can choose to pick up what I did is when I first was playing as the uh, sort of game director, I kind of misunderstood at the top of the screen, you see players one through 10 and I was confused at first and thought player one was just a level one character. So I decided I was going to be the Robin Hood of the game director and I was going to try to help what I thought was this level one character so <laughs> they could be successful at the game. Uh, turns out they're just players one, two, three, four, five, and six. So I was just helping a random person out. <laughs> but you can you can actually buff specific characters. You can heal them. If you see a character who you can kind of tell is new to the game and they're not they don't understand how to build a fire to kind of get their heat meter up, um, you can actually uh, one time only uh, buff their heat so that they're warm and they don't die. Um, you can buff people's speed. You can actually heal someone right in the middle of a a fight. Um, wow. which is interesting. You, you, you can, you really are God in a lot of ways. Um, and you can also lock down different hexes so that you can kind of, you have a, you have a map up at all times. So you can kind of see where everyone is at any one time. You can also cycle through and actually see their, each player's viewpoint as well. And you see where everyone is in 3d space where they are on the map. So you can kind of filter, hopefully try to filter players into fighting one another. Uh, I had actually, a shocking amount of fun uh, playing as the game director. It, I think I enjoyed that more than the other aspect of it. But uh, are there any was, goals as the game director? Are you are you being rewarded, or are there points accruing for for you making people do certain things? So the, the, that's actually one little criticism I have of it. It seems to you you basically. Uh, you have this little kind of energy uh, bar that fills up over time. And I couldn't tell if any of the actions you do actually causes it to fill up faster. It might, um, but it seemed to just be time-based. Um, so uh, there are, uh, but what happens is you actually get 
reviewed by the other players at the end of the match. They can choose, huh. I think it's one to five stars, how good was this game director? Um, and <laughs> player one was like, he was amazing! <laughs> but all the other I, players are like, nah, I don't know. <laughs> and I think, it, and so you do have a challenge of like, you don't want to just pick on one or two players the whole time because they might one star you. It, I felt yeah. like I was an Uber driver for a second there, <laughs> uh, trying to keep track of all that stuff, but you, you kind of want everyone to enjoy the game that you're sort of making around it. Huh. Um, it's really neat. Yeah, there was one instance where there were two players. I couldn't tell if they were in a party together, but they had clearly decided they weren't going to attack each other until they were the last two players. And I spent probably a good 10 minutes just trying to take them out because I was upset <laughs> that they were ruining the purity of this 10-player Battle Royale experience that I was running. Um, and so I was constantly you – can, you can pick where you make one player the target for every other player on the map, and they can see them at any one time. I tried to uh, I tried trapping those two guys in one of the hexes. You can call a nuclear strike into one of the hexes and just blow it up. Uh, so Crazy. I, I have a, a a one moment where I called it in and and they just made it outside of the blast radius to, into the nether the next <laughs> hex over. So I didn't quite kill them completely, but one of them was about half health, and I felt pretty good about that. It sounds like it's really doubling down on that Hunger Games. Uh theme you know it, it seems like you Definitely. you are playing as the donald sutherland evil overlord uh, i don't know what they're called in the hunger games universe but you know the, you're, you're playing as the man <laughs> yeah absolutely and, and and i don't know how many more people are playing it on average it took about three four minutes to find a game when i was searching as the game director um but i i had an absolute blast and it's it's really unique i mean I think we, a lot of people have talked about, obviously, with Fortnite and, you know, other releases in the Battle Royale genre, the, you know, copycats and things that are very similar. And this feels unique. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty cool. I, I, I don't know how successful it is. I think it's probably a victim of timing, unfortunately. I would, I would imagine with Fortnite blowing up the way it has, they, they have similar art styles and that they're both, you know, third person kind of cartoony style. Um, but they're definitely very different experiences and, you know, I want to keep playing more of it, but I, I really, really like playing as the game director. I think that's unique and I'll be curious to see if, if any other releases within the genre kind of take this and do something else with it. Yeah, me too, David. I'd be curious to see that also. <laughs> Again, that game is called Darwin Project and uh, you played it, you were playing it on PC, is that right? No, I was playing on Xbox. Xbox. Chill, chill, chill. Right. Although um, PC is also PC. a wonderful platform for Windows. We control everything. Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty much a console gamer these days. I, 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 I game a lot at work on like my lunch break and stuff, and that's primarily on PC. But when I'm at home, I'm pretty much a couch gamer. Do you have like a go-to comfort game right now, or are you just like playing, you know, playing around whatever's the new hotness? Assassin's Creed Origins. I have played a ton of that oh, game. Really, I lo- I love it too. I think the game is so good. But it's interesting to me that the single player adventure game is your comfort game. Uh yeah. I you know so I you know I played a, a lot of multiplayer, obviously. But uh, when I'm at home and I want to relax, I I don't like the variable. I don't always enjoy the variable of other human beings. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I understand um, that. I can understand that. But uh, I played a ton of Assassin's Creed Origins over the break, and and it's it's interesting. I I feel like it doesn't get talked about as much as I would expect it to, but 
I, I really enjoy that game. I agree with you. Yeah, I've tried to bring it up several times uh, because I, I don't think people give it enough credit. It, it is, you know, I guess there was such a huge deluge of great games at the end of the year last year that another great game and, and what is kind of a known quantity series, but it reinvents Assassin's Creed to the point where I, I was kind of off of Assassin's Creed's before Origins, and now I'm I'm loving them because I hope they stay like this. I mean, basically the game has witcherified the Assassin's Creed universe, which is really yes. what I wanted, but in the best possible way. I mean, that's the kind of games I love. Yeah, and it's super different. So I, I played it a ton, and I think for someone who's picking it up for the first time, it doesn't make necessarily the best first impression in that the, the way they tell the story is a little nonlinear, especially right. at the beginning. Yeah. And so I was a little confused the first hour or two, but um, stick with it. And the amount of variety in that game is shocking. Um, uh, it's a unique setting, you know, it takes place in Egypt. This is uh, Ptolemaic Egypt. So if you're not familiar with that, that is sort of the, it's, this is post the Zenith of sort of Egyptian culture. They have kind of been taken over by the Greeks in a lot of ways, and and the Romans are starting to make their push into this this uh, area of uh, you know Mesopotamia. Uh, and what's interesting is in the world that they've built is so huge and diverse. You actually have what you consider sort of classic Egyptian cities. You have the you know the Great Pyramid, all that stuff, which is awesome. But you also have other environments that are primarily Greek. And towards later parts of the game, uh, I stumbled across primarily Roman, Roman areas, and, and they look so dramatically different. I, I, I cannot say enough amazing things by the wonderful artists uh, who brought this world to life. It, it is incredibly diverse, and I am just in absolute awe yeah. uh, of this game, and I really can't say n- enough nice things about it. On the flip side, I was playing some Assassin's Creed 2 as well because I sort of finished Origins, and I love Assassin's Creed. I like these games. Uh, two was definitely the one. Two and Brotherhood were my high water marks in the franchise. And I picked up the Ezio collection. It was on sale. And so I picked it up and was replaying through Assassin's Creed 2. And it's it's really mind-blowing how different a game Origins is from 2. I think on a surface level, people see it and they'll say, oh, it's, you know, it's Assassin's Creed. I know what that is. It's the same game. Um, but in so many ways, they've streamlined the controls. I forgot that in Assassin's Creed 2, you had to hold two or three buttons at any one time to actually run yeah, and, just climb to climb. and yeah. jump. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really mind blowing. I wish they would go back and just originsify all the old games, uh, because I think the settings are so awesome and the stories even are cool, but Man, the mechanics in those games, I think, are really clunky, and the mission structure is really clunky. And if they could just <laughs> make those old, just take all those old assets and make uh, make new games that are like Origins, <laughs> I would love to go replay the Renaissance <laughs> and all those other cool timelines. You know, well, Assassin's Creed Two made me fall in love with Tuscany, with yeah. Italy, and I've had the chance to visit it with my wife and uh, introduced it to her, and she's fallen in love, she's fallen in love with that region as well. Uh, but, you know, they, they just announced the Far Cry map stuff, and you're going to be able to put Assassin's Creed assets in Far Cry, so who knows? Yeah, you're right. Crazy, crazy. Uh, okay, so now you guys uh, are allowed to talk about Fortnite. Let's. Uh, I know that Christian's been playing a ton of Fortnite. We've already talked a lot about Fortnite in this episode, but it's taken over the world. So we're going to talk a lot <laughs> more about Fortnite. Fortnite is out on mobile, 
Uh, it is playable on your phone, and it is the, the it's the game. It's it's the whole game, guys. Uh, and I know both of you have been playing a lot of it. Um, Christian, let's kick it off with you. Why don't you start talking about your experience playing Fortnite on mobile? I know that you've like actually preferred that to even playing it on a console at this point. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible. It's, I mean, it is the full game as they said it would. I'm playing on a 10 inch iPad pro. Mostly I've also played on my little rinky dink iPhone SE and it runs shockingly good on both on the SE. It is a very small screen. It's the iPhone five form factor, um, on the pro on my 10 inch pro. I mean, it's, it's the game. Like, I mean, <laughs> nothing is missing, and it has to be the game to be cross-play compatible with, um, you know, the other versions of it. So they can't omit a tree or a bush or some piece of geometry where someone could be hiding or running around and it just not be there in your version of the game. Graphically, or it's not let people build new pieces of geometry, which they can do in Fortnite. You know, so they couldn't really do that. Right, build or destruct or whatever. Yeah. Um. Graphically, it's not as crisp as running, you know, on my TV, I mean, on my computer at max res or on Xbox or PlayStation. But just the fact that I'm sitting here on my iPad or on my phone, I went to uh, the movies on Thursday and during like the 20, I sat and played Fortnite. I, I'm not going to say how many rounds of Fortnite I played because that would show you how quickly I died. But, <laughs> but I played, I played Fortnite and I leveled up my character, my progression. I mean, not leveled up, but you know, um, made progress and, and that, you're not leveling up your character, but went through, um, what do they call those things? The battle rank, whatever it is with your little sure. unlocks. Be honest. How, how many games have you gotten in while we've been doing the show? Oh dude, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, I came in, I, we usually start at seven fifteen, and we started a little late today. Um, but I came in at, at seven fourteen. Because I definitely finished fifth. <laughs> if you had finished like, fourth, oh, you may have been late. <laughs> I may have been late. I was like, I can get one game in. And then I was like, ooh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, it is remarkable how well it plays on mobile. And I think further, I think it's remarkable the subtle changes they made to the mobile version of the game. Uh, and I haven't seen a lot of people talking about this. So I think they assume that a lot of people will be playing with sound off um, on their mobile device if they don't have headphones on. And so they added in the HUD... Um, footstep, location trackers, think Metal Gear Solid 5 or that style of game where it doesn't, they don't necessarily get a lot bigger as people get closer to you, but when you would be otherwise hearing another player's footsteps approaching, it shows on screen and it kind of shows you the direction they're coming from or the gold chests that are hidden throughout levels that have a little better loot in them in the PC and console version of the game that is a sound cue and you kind of have to find it. And on mobile, they also put that on your HUD. And it doesn't give it directly away where it is, but it's this really smart approach to taking a game and making it work on a mobile device in a way where people might be playing without sound on that isn't as common on on PC or console. And then the way they designed the controls, um, and it, I mean, it is touchscreen. They have mentioned that um, MiFi controller support is something they're looking into in the future. But the way it... Um, it's the left side. There is technically a thumbstick, a virtual thumbstick on screen. But if you put your finger or thumb anywhere in that area, as soon as you put your finger on the screen, the virtual thumbstick disappears. So it's not as if you have to stay on that virtual thumbstick that you can't feel to move your character around. You kind of put your thumb anywhere over there. 
the virtual thing disappears. Now you're controlling your character. And on the right side of the screen, these are default controls. Um, it's you're moving to aim and there's actually no virtual thumbstick on that side at all. It's just kind of put your finger over there. And then above that is jump, crouch and aim down the sights. And then what I think is smart for a mobile game, because the way you shoot, you tap the screen. So traditionally, if you're running around left hand moving, you know, r- moving your character right hand um, aiming, using your right finger or thumb to move and then tap, when you pick it up to tap, you kind of lose that direct accuracy, like if you were sniping or something like that. There's also a virtual shoot button on the left side of the screen. So if you're aiming down the the sights or you're sniping from across the map and you want to have a little more accuracy, you can aim with your right thumb or right hand. And then instead of taking your finger off to tap to shoot, you can just tap the virtual button on the left to have your accurate headshot from across the map or whatever. Um, In the mobile game, definitely it plays different. The games I've been in, I haven't seen quite as elaborate builds um, or anything like that. But David, I'm curious your experience because I know you're playing on, on mobile as well. Yeah, so I'm playing it primarily on the iPhone 10 uh, is the one that I probably played it on the most. I also have an iPad Air 2, and it's interesting to see the differences between what it looks like on one versus the other. Hmm. One thing I want to mention, I don't think the timing of this being released is accidental. Um, this is uh, epic is, you know, first and foremost, they make the Unreal Engine. That seems to be where they have been making most of their money in the last five, six years. Uh, this is right for GDC. They have an absolute showcase for the Unreal Engine of across mobile. They have the exact same game on every platform pretty much in the world. Yeah. And it's the same game. And then, then that's impressive. I don't think there's anything else out there to compare to it. So I would imagine there will be a, a lot of meetings with the uh, Epic <laughs> Well, it certainly certainly seems like this is the next big frontier because uh, Fortnite is doing so well. And we saw just in the wake of Fortnite releasing on mobile, uh, Ark Survival Evolved announced a free-to-play mobile version that's supposedly the same game. Um, PUBG, which has been copying Fortnite for a long time now, it seems like, guys, right? (laughs) Um, Is is releasing a, a mobile version, too. And I think, as you're saying, Dave, these these engines are making it so possible now to port things to make it platform agnostic, pretty much. Um, Wait, I is think Arc also Unreal, though. Did you just mention three games using the same engine? I don't know if Arc is Unreal, and I don't know I what PUBG's know. mobile engine is. But PUBG, I mean, that was kind of player unknown's big beef. Was right? Was that we built our game on Unreal? We're <laughs> now Unreal's releasing right. a version of our game, and of course they're going to iterate faster. And everybody's yeah. like, "Oh, relax." And then what is what is yeah, Battle I mean, Royale we, done? We legit said, "Oh, relax," because uh, it seemed like they were owning the world. And so, how quickly things can can shift? I mean, I, I think PUBG's still doing fine, but it is interesting. It is very very interesting to see that. Yeah, you know, Fortnite gets to mobile before PUBG does, but yeah, I mean, these guys own the <laughs> own the engine. Maybe they had a point. There is a mobile version of the PUBG that I think was out in China initially, right, and yeah. and I think it's being soft launched in Canada. Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but I but think it's, it's a, a different. And I know it's not just the it's not just the Unreal Engine that is a a a prime example. But I know Unity is is moving this way, and and all of the I think this is really the next big frontier is to make these things platform agnostic, and you just play it how you play it, and it goes where you go. I, I will say, I think, Christian, you, you sort of hit on it. it. It is a very different experience playing it. I mean, visually, on my iPhone 
10, it looks, I mean, it looks as good as if I'm playing on a console or on PC. It, it's quite remarkable. It doesn't look quite as uh, crisp on my iPad Air 2, but uh, it still runs really well. The performance is, is really good across both platforms. Uh, definitely playing it on the smaller screen of the iPhone. Uh, definitely had some situations where the controls, and I'm sure they're going to iterate a ton on this. Uh, you look at how they've been updating the regular version of the game, but uh, definitely had some instances with sort of, especially around building, where I would be building things by accident without realizing it because my, you know, thumb accidentally hitting the the virtual button to build it, and uh, suddenly I'd run out of resources and be like, <laughs> I just want this stairwell up to the top of the thing so I could hit a box, and I don't have any more resources. So definitely, definitely some situations there, but, um, you know, I, it's interesting. I, I, you know, you sort of talk about generationally and how people grow up playing games. I'm curious how many people who, you know, you know, a lot younger than any of the three of us that, you know, may have played a ton of games primarily with touch controls and, yeah, or sure. motion controls, any of those kind of things. I'm curious to see, like, do they introduce aiming via, you know, gyro aiming, kind of like Nintendo does with Splatoon? Uh, I'll be curious to see how they iterate on it. I definitely want them to add controller support. I'd love to be able to use my Bluetooth, any of my Bluetooth controllers and just play it. Cause at that point it's a super viable situation. Just as a test, uh, we were driving in the car. I was not driving. I was passenger <laughs> in the car and I loaded it up with just my cellular you yeah. know, data and played a full match of, uh, Fortnite. I did not. That's crazy. So well, I think I finished 23rd, which isn't too bad, but, uh, it's not because you were lagging. It didn't seem like it. And, and God, mobile data is so fast at this point. The latency seems, you know, it's not going to be the same as if you have fiber optic gig, you know, whatever. But I think the experience of Fortnite, at least at the level that I can safely say the three of us are playing at, if there's a little bit of latency, it's probably not that big a deal. Right. My pitch for when they introduce MiFi controller support or whatever for iOS would be that they then batch you with whatever console you're linked to. Because I do think you'd have an unfair advantage. It's kind of like uh, controller versus mouse and keyboard, like controller versus touchscreen. But that's my that's my fix if Epic's listening and, you're, and you haven't thought of it. I would say you batch people with console players because then you're on a even playing field. It's interesting that you brought up Nintendo, David, because I feel like so much of the success of the switch has been people loving this idea of play it at home and then play it on the go and seamless integration across that experience. And I feel like if you get to the point now where these games can be played on the thing you already are carrying and it's the same game, uh, that kind of even invalidates the magic of the switch, or at least maybe doesn't invalidate it, but takes it to the next level. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of people talk about accessibility in games, and I think part of the accessibility question is, you know, let players play wherever on whatever. You yeah. know, I think that's a big deal. Phil's Spencer's definitely talked about that publicly, and I, I think that's pretty cool with, you know, Sea of Thieves coming out this week, and I'll be able to play it on my computer. I'll be able to play it on my console. Like, that's awesome. I love that. I love cross-play. Um, you know, I love, you know, obviously with, with Sony, with the PlayStation Plus, I like being able to grab Vita games that also play on PS4. Uh, I think that's that stuff's great, and I want more people to to embrace it. And you know, it, it is a different experience, and uh, we'll see how it shakes out over time. But 
it's a uh, I'm I'm definitely impressed, and it definitely shows that you know Donald Mustard, who people might not know that the name, um, who formerly kind of founded Chair, he was in Utah, a, and he was a colonel of, at one point, right? And he was involved in a, a, a crime <laughs> yeah, that happened at an old mansion in the library. I can't remember, <laughs> but yeah. you know, he, he you know he made some great games with Chair, and you know they were acquired by. Uh, Epic uh, a long time ago, and he did the Infinity Blade game series on iPhone. Right. Yeah, and and those were very successful. And I think we're definitely seeing some of his influence. And he's been uh, super influential uh, at Epic with a lot of their efforts over the last few years. And so definitely seeing some of his uh, what I think is his influence on some of those things. Awesome. Um, yeah, man. Fortnite, huge. It's huge. Um, I want to talk. Much, sorry, real quick. How much have you played, Jeff? I think because I'll talk about it more next. We talked about a lot of Fortnite already, but the more I've played of it, the more I think I've distilled down key differences between it and PUBG. And if you haven't spent a decent amount of time with um, Battle Royale mode in Fortnite, I would love to invite you to squad up and we can I run should. around it. I should. I mean, I'm just so it's just so not my jam. You know, I, I'm I'm that MOBA guy now. I want to play. I want to play. That's my comfort game is the MOBA. Um, I played a, actually a, a fair amount of Fortnite when it was PVE stuff primarily. But that's a different game. That's, a di- that's like saying I know, but uh, I, yeah, I came away feeling very positive things about it. Um, and uh, I, I will definitely give it a shot. I will play with you. I don't. I'm honestly not compelled to play on a touch screen. I just I don't enjoy the experience of virtual sticks. Um, I know you I can have play on Xbox or on PC with you and JP's in if we play on PC. Let's so do we, it. Let's do it. We're just missing one. Yeah, we'll do it. I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll have no problem filling a slot. Um, we'll do it. I'll play. Uh, but I don't want to play on mobile. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it as your first experience if yeah. you're interested in trying it on other platforms. Christian has this really interesting method on touch where he plays it like a piano. And he doesn't use his thumb. He he plays it with index fingers, and he's playing it like you know how you would hold, you, you, like type on a keyboard. I don't want to know what he's holding the phone with. <laughs> no, that's, so that's on the iPad. On the iPad, I put it because on the phone you can do it with both thumbs, but on my 10-inch Pro, uh, I lay it down like with the stand, not up vertically the way a laptop screen would he's be. But tell us know. he's laying it on his 10-inch Pro. I understand, Christian. <laughs> Lap mode. <laughs> and then it is. It's, it's index fingers, uh, and you're able to kind of tap, and you can have hands on jump while you're aiming and while you're running. I have not victory royale yet in it, but I've had a lot of top 10, top 5 finishes. So just throwing it out there. And also, to that point, I forget who made it to me originally, but like to us, it's like, uh, that's not how I want to play it. And I remember when Minecraft, plug, plug, shill, shill, came to touch, people were like, oh, but it's such an awkward, clumsy way to play it. But now you see people that grew up on touchscreens, you know, they're better at that than you hand them a a controller. And they're like, this is unintuitive. I don't know what I'm doing. And on touchscreen, it's like, you know, minority report and they're they're whipping around the world super quick. I'm not saying it's objectively worse on on touch. I'm just saying for me, I'm just of a, I'm just, you know. The wrong. I'm in the wrong paradigm. Sadly. Yeah, I'm um, objectively worse with touch. That doesn't mean everyone is. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I get to talk about uh, a couple of games that aren't out yet: Nino Kuni Two and uh, God of War. Um, and I will do that right after. What's that? Speaking of ten-inch Pro, you're just bragging rights. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I, I first I want to tell you about our second sponsor which is Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon has been a sponsor of the show for a while. You've heard me talk about it, I'm sure. I can safely tell you, 
that Mac Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. <laughs> I happen to be wearing my Mac Weldon's right now. I didn't even know they were responsible before I sat down tonight. I'm wearing my Mac Weldon undies because, uh, because of travel today. Honestly, that's why I traveled. I got on the plane. I do not like wearing any other underpants, but my Mac Weldon's <laughs> when I get on a plane, if I'm going to be sitting on a plane for three hours or more, I flew from Seattle today, had a layover. I was, I was in my pants for a long time, awkwardly sitting and I want comfort. I want smelling good. I want premium. I want the best situation down there. And honestly, too few people think about their underpants. It's, it's weird because it's the thing we wear every single day. And most of the time, it's the thing people think the least about. You just go to the store, you buy a, a bag that has eight of them, and you just wear them and they're crap. But Mack Weldon is better than that. Smart design, premium fabric, fabrics, simple shopping. You don't even have to go to the stupid store and pick up the stupid bag and go through the checkout counter. It's all from home. It's easy. My shopping experience was so great. It's You just go online, you click, 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 and it shows up in this really cool packaging. It's awesome. You can get comfortable. Underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, all the most important stuff, all this, the, the comfort, the essentials that you've got. Their silver underwear line are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, which is great if you're on a plane, if you're sitting doing a podcast, if you're out in the world and they feel good. I really do prefer my Mac Weldons. Whenever I do my laundry, I prioritize those Mac Weldons. Gotta love them. Uh, guess what? We're going to give you 20% off when you go to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use our promo code DLC when you check out. You'll get 20% off. That's pretty great. Check it out for yourself. Understand the difference. Understand what you've been doing wrong this whole time. I I think you're going to prefer it, as I do. MacWeldon.com, promo code DLC. Get yourself 20% off. All right, let's start with... Nino Kuni 2, uh, which is a big Japanese-style role-playing game coming from Bandai Namco. It is the sequel to Nino Kuni, but I don't know how it gets that uh, distinction because uh, it has absolutely nothing to do with the first game. I played the first Nino Kuni. I liked it a lot. Uh, I had a big problem with the combat system. Um, this is a completely different game. It's, I guess, what they do with... Final Fantasy, right? Each Final Fantasy is... I was going to say, it seems consistent. Yeah, yeah. The only consistency is that generally Japanese, a lot of Japanese RPGs, uh, they reinvent themselves from title to title. Yeah, and I guess the only thing that that carries through is this sort of... um, The the art style, right? The the, um, Studio Ghibli-esque art style, which uh, is very much present. But the first game had like, cutscenes that were all hand drawn and hand animated. Uh, this game does not have that. They're, they're in that style, but it's all in engine, um, stuff, but it's still very beautiful game, really beautiful game. Um, and I think I played the, the first thing you know, I didn't remember that the anime, that the cutscenes were hand animated in the first one. That's really interesting. Not, not this, all of them. There were, there were yeah. some here and there, right? It would cut into certain, certain scenes. Um, how do I start talking about this game? 
David, I'm very curious uh, because you are a fan of Japanese-style role-playing games. Uh, I am, to a certain extent, it's I'm much more a Western role-playing guy uh, traditionally, but I have definitely I've loved some JRPGs in my time. And it's interesting to me that this genre in particular seems to do a thing that we don't necessarily do over here in the West, which is the game reveals itself slowly over time, over long time. Games like uh, Assassin's Creed or even Halo, 20 minutes in, you know the game. Like there will be new things revealed. There will be new story beats. You'll even get new abilities. There'll be a tank level that does something new. But basically, you've got the whole game there. there. There will be new things that you're able to do within those structures and those mechanisms that are that are part of the game but the game structures themselves once you've gone through a tutorial are basically the same throughout the experience and in these games many of them uh persona is one that happened this year uh or last year that that comes to mind you don't even you're not even playing the game for many many hours like the game's core mechanisms haven't even been revealed to you until many hours in. And that is the case with Nino Kuni 2. Six hours into this game, all of a sudden, oh, this is the game. <laughs> Which is a, I want to, the reason I bring it up that way is I want to know, do you like that? I really enjoyed the first Nino Kuni, and I, I think I'm probably surprisingly a little bit more like you in that I'm kind of picky in the sort of the term Japanese RPG doesn't is another one of those terms that kind of has a loaded meaning. It doesn't necessarily mean anything other than it's an RPG made by Japanese developers, which may be right. turn based, it might be real time. I don't know, but uh, I really loved the first Nino Kuni. Um, I uh, Spent a lot of time with it. I love the art style. I love the world. It was just pleasant uh, to interact with. I'm interested to hear your thoughts about the combat system because I actually like to remember liking uh, the first Nino Kuni. It had elements of sort of Pokemon. You could sort of yeah. It was you could sort of auto choose how your familiars could fight for you. Kind of give them archetypes if I remember correctly. Um, I remember enjoying it at the time. But definitely. Uh, Remember it being a little unforgiving as you get further along into the game and that mm -hmm. uh, if you didn't play sort of the right way, you could get in real big trouble. If you didn't, you talk about all these systems that it continually reveals to you. Uh, if you don't have a firm grasp of those systems, uh, that game could be really punishing. Um, and I'm curious to see how this one plays out. Yeah, I'll definitely get to that. Christian, I'm curious, do you, do you have an opinion on this, this way of, of a game? You, you play it for six hours and you're not even really playing the game yet. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, not in this specific example, cause I haven't played sure. this game, but I think right. it depends on how it's handled. I think the closest thing that I can kind of equate that to is, um, like destiny or something like that, where it's like, oh, the game hasn't even started until the end game, right? Like you, you're not. No, 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 no. I, very different from what I, what I mean. Oh, okay. I understand what you're saying with, with regard to destiny, but destiny is like, you're, you're now, you're, now you're starting a new grind, you know, but you're still playing the same game. This is, so, so yeah, be specific. I, like, I mean, like, am I doing turn-based combat and then six hours in it changes to a first-person RPG or like the plot starts? Like, okay. I, so 
Nino Kuni two starts uh, the way many role playing games do. You're you're this young king, and you're gonna try to escape this castle, and you're and you're doing the combat is all real time. It's all hack and slash, running around, smack stuff. You've got uh, different kind of special attacks that you start learning through the tutorial. And it's very easy, very simple. You're just smacking people and smacking them around and all. uh, It feels very simplistic, right? So you go and you go and you go. And then, uh, and you're, you know, it's third person camera and you're picking up things and you're running through the castle and you don't know why you're picking up things, but okay, it's glowing. So you pick it up. That's what you do in video games. It's a chest. I open it. Some stuff pops out. I I grab it. I don't know what I'm doing with it. Okay, fine. Um, The story isn't particularly well written um it's you know you're you're going through it you eventually leave the castle you get onto this big overworld and now it changes perspective to uh this overworld map where you know there's this big sprawling landscape with nodes on it um wandering monsters and when you walk into proximity with those monsters it does that japanese style role-playing thing where it like zooms in and now you're back to the third person perspective and you're fighting them like you were back in that castle so there's these two different perspectives that's very common in these games for some reason in inokuni 2 the more macro perspective you have like a big head mode on your characters if they look like um vinyl character models or whatever that's a big weird wide head okay i'll roll with it i'm not (laughs) criticizing that it's just an odd choice um but you feel like okay so now we're now we're kind of in the game i'm wandering around i'm leveling up i'm getting into you know grinding all these monsters the combat uh is there's there's kind of a fun to it but it is very much not challenging um i'm able to dominate the way the combat works in Inokuni 2 is you have a series of characters, and as the game progresses, you get more of them, and you have a party. You only control one at a time. The AI controls all the others. And then you have these things. Oh, darn it. I can't remember what they're called. Bumbles or humbles or something. I can't remember. They're the little uh, adorable little Inokuni creatures that everybody has seen, the little uh, Pokemon-type things. Higgledies? And you get those, and you assign – What's Higgledies? that? Higgledies, that's right. Higgledies, thank you. Uh, Higgledies, uh, and and those are they're fun. They're like a little group of sprites that follow you around. And when you get into combat, they do stuff. They throw little rocks and stuff at the bad guys, and they're doing damage too, just like your AI characters are doing. And then at certain points, they decide they're going to like congregate into a circle. And if you run into that circle and press X they will do a special move that they can do. That can be either healing you or giving you a power-up or debuffing the enemy or, like, turning into a cool cannon and shooting attacks at the enemy. And depending on the Higgledies that you have uh, equipped, you can build out different, you know, combos of Higgledies that do certain things that you think will work best for you. And you discover Higgledies throughout the world, and then you can you can um, assign them, and you have to give them a, the right item in order to make them, entice them into your service and all that stuff. Well, that's pretty cool. So that's the combat. You jump in, there's a, there's a never, not never, rarely just one thing you're fighting. It's usually a big battlefield, but it has constraints on it, so you can't just keep running away from them. And you have, you know five or six or 10 little bad guys and all your dudes are fighting and you're kind of running around smacking stuff. It's chaotic, but kind of in a fun, cool way. So you're doing that for a while. You're on the over map. You're, you know, you're 
there's glowing bits everywhere. And because I'm a video game player and it's a video game and they're glowing, I'm picking them up. I don't know why I, I run over, I pick up a glowing bit and it says, you found an apple. You found a pebble. You found a, uh, a silvery conch shell. You found a tree branch. And this is all still the oh. first part. This is six hours of the game. <laughs> but uh, I mean, is that 1% of the game? Okay. Like, well, the game's like 30 okay. hours. So, uh, so then you learn about four hours in of doing that, of like leveling up your dudes and fighting and doing story things and finding out, going to areas and, you know, doing stuff. <laughs> I just love what you you're find saying. out. It's that, like, oh. it sounds like you're playing a video game, but I feel like I'm waiting for this drop because you're struggling or maybe the game struggles to justify why you do it. It's like you go to a place, you collect things, you talk to people, you go on missions, you have people that help you. <laughs> Yeah, it's a video game, right? But, but if, okay, if I'm in Assassin's Creed and I'm picking up, uh, you know, leather, very early on in the game, I know what I do with that leather. To right? be fair, I was just playing it Assassin's take- Creed 2, and it tells you to collect 100 feathers, and I still don't know why I was doing that. <laughs> well, but that's a quest. That's different. This is not like, okay, whatever. This is not resources. Um. I feel like you're not with guys are not with me on well, this. To journey. be fair, it's okay. Got 30th I, um, in Fortnite, you need so. more joy in your life, Jeff. Yeah. You need more joy. And then, <laughs> and then about, so about four hours in four plus hours into the game, all of a sudden there's this new thing that you can do. You can have these giant, uh, uh, war battles, uh, these giant, um, Oh gosh. What's the name of the Nintendo game uh, that Miyamoto made? No, uh, with lots of little character, the little characters that you control. Pikmin. Oh, oh it's Pikmin. It's it's a Pikmin huh. war game. You you you're on this war, this this giant war scene, and you have these groupings of characters that you assign that are like your your armies, and they are there's up to four of them that are in cir- a circle around you. And you can rotate them and activate them in certain ways, but they stand around you. You're in the center of them. You move. They all move with you. La, 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 la. You rotate. They fight. There's other <laughs> giant armies. Fight, 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 fight. It's chaos. It doesn't make much sense. When you I move, don't they know. move just like that. <laughs> just like that. I don't know why I'm doing it. What I, the reward I get for doing that stuff is like, you got a pebble. You got a shiny conch shell. You got a, uh, okay, cool. I guess. I don't know why I need any of this stuff. I don't, I have literally no reason I don't to have any of it. I don't want to stop this. I want to go back to it, but I want to cut ahead a little bit. Is it fun? Are you having fun? Cause you're a big proponent of a moment enjoyed is not a moment wasted. So like, right. but I also feel like you're struggling. Uh, I don't, Here's, I don't mean this negatively. I feel like right. you're struggling to say it's not bad, but I feel like maybe you're jumping, it's bad. To, you're jumping to the end of my thesis statement. <laughs> That's which a is a long thesis statement. Yeah, you're jumping to the end. <laughs> no, you're jumping to the end to my thesis oh, statement, it. I should say. Okay. Which is uh this game is better than the sum of its parts. Cuz none of its parts are good. Huh. But for some reason it's still fun. <laughs> this game all of the all of the elements taken in isolation are not good. Uh the story is not good. The things you're doing at any given moment are not good. The combat, I think, is not good. The Those war battle things, not particularly good. Uh, 
but I haven't even gotten to the end. Like this is only like hour four or five, right? You start doing these war battles. Like, why am I doing this? Why do I need to do this? What is this even about? What reward is there? What incentive do I have to do this? Because these are new nodes that are now on your little overmap thing where you can run up and start a battle and it'll say, you need to be reputation level seven to do this battle. And I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. Am I? I don't know. <laughs> is there a menu for that? I guess. Um, so I'm going to get, I know I'm going to get ripped for this, but whatever. I don't envy the PR person that's trying to go through your quote to try to figure out how to turn that into a box quote. <laughs> sounds like you like it. <laughs> this is a game that is more fun than it is good. Um, yeah, they just leave that off. I don't think they don't think that's right. the one they take. The, then, so this is a, a huge portion of the game. There's big things that are happening. New characters, are, you're freeing people and armies and doing big things. You're this ousted – the story is about this ousted king, Boy King, who, by the way, is one of the most doofy-looking characters in all of video games. I don't know if you've seen – This little kid with, like, fox ears. Yeah, it looks like a little, it looks like the, he has the wig that, um, Uma Thurman is wearing from Pulp Fiction, but blonde. Yeah. Looking at a yeah. picture and it's got like a red cape. Yeah. Do you have his name? His uh, name is great. I do not in front of me, but oh, I grew up on Prince Valiant, so I'm not allowed to make fun of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's very Prince Valiant. Anyway, it's all about, he gets ousted from his kingdom at the beginning. It's all about him kind of like rebuilding his kingdom, right? Which is kind of cool. He's like assembling people and, and, and learning. Like that idea is cool. It's just kind of clunkily portrayed. But then about six hours in, <clears throat> you finally found your kingdom. You finally find a plot of land and they go, okay, now we're going to build a kingdom here. And now you're playing The Sims. Huh. You're playing Civilization. I like The Sims. A, I like entire, Civilization. I do too. It's awesome. You go, you're now you're, now you're literally building buildings, uh, and acquiring new citizens in your kingdom and assigning them and leveling them up. And the buildings all have things that they do and, uh, buffs that they give you. And all of a sudden, all of those glowing bits and things that you've been collecting now have a purpose, but you didn't know literally for six hours, I was collecting shit in this game <laughs> that I had no idea Clean why. Tag. Whoa. <laughs> uh, just garbage that I was collecting in this game for no, no reason. Shining garbage. It was shining. And shiny. It was just literally because I Pavlo, I'm a Pavlovian, trained video gamer who says shiny bit i'm gonna go and get it is there a chest oh i'll open that chest the thing that pops out i have no need for oh oh i forgot i forgot the other thing oh my god i forgot the other thing one of the big things in the combat system <coughs> excuse me is you have three melee weapons and a ranged weapon equipped at all times and supposedly like one of the biggest things about the combat system is that you'll be rotating between all those melee weapons and they charge up to a percentage uh, of, of a hundred, which signifies, I guess how good they're getting at smacking things. And you're supposed to switch to the melee weapon that is closest to a hundred at any given time to maximize your thing. But literally the default mode in the game is, We'll handle that for you. Just keep pushing the buttons and we'll switch to the correct weapon at the needed time. So don't even think about it. 
I, I'm it's okay like, with that. I, why I, is it in the game? Well, it makes I, no sense. I wonder if they're trying have, to reach different audiences with it. Or are they trying to like just cast a wider net? I mean, honestly, I, I feel like there's maybe a skill cap of when you want to control it yourself, maybe you can squeeze out extra DPS by really knowing that system. But a, it makes no sense from a sort of thematic level. Like, why do I have three swords and switch between swords constantly on the fly? Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, oh, from a th- yeah, I mean that's kind of what The Witcher did between Witcher two and three. Well, no, The or- Witcher had a very clear. He had one sword for monsters and one sword for people. Right, <laughs> but it pulled it for you in Witcher three, whereas in the prior Witcher games, you had to equip what you wanted to do. Well, yeah, right. It, depending on the monster you were fighting, it, it picked the right sword. But that's very different than in the course of battle, it just switches on the fly based on this random percentage that's charging up that I guess I'm doing right. I, <laughs> it's, so I feel all like- of these systems, there's systems upon systems upon systems and they keep layering them at you and all of them seem completely arbitrary and bonkers. I mean, bonkers. Like the Higgledy system is deep and crazy and the eventual castle building system is intense and deep and you're doing these side quests to get uh people to join your kingdom so that you can assign them and stuff so you can maximize your building so you can get more growth so you can get more money but the money you make in your castle isn't the same money that you make in your adventuring because that's castle money that's only used to build your castle and not people money that's used to like buy items it's it's insane and yet, also, you pretty much don't have to pay attention to any of it. None of it's essential. It just seems so crazy, but yet I'm sort of having fun with it. So I don't know what to tell you guys. <laughs> it seems like its messaging is off in terms of setting its expectations for what you'd be doing or what you're playing. Whereas I'm thinking of The Crew 2, where it's like they're making, they're trying to make the best flying game, racing game, like car game and boat game or whatever. And like, okay, cool. Uh, but I could see how it'd be a little jarring if I buy this car game in <laughs> 20 minutes and it's like, now you're flying planes and you're just like, what the heck? So, um, Jeff, can I ask you a quick question? Like, did, did you have like, uh, so when I left sort of games journalism and, and moved up to start, uh, working in game development, uh, one of the things I sort of kind of reassessed was I kind of go back and think about how I talk about games and talked about games that I was playing and how I would think about them while I was playing them. And, uh, one of the things that I, I sort of recognize now is that um, when I'm playing a game sort of at my own pace, I, I find that I generally am annoyed by things less than if I had like a really crappy deadline, got a game late, but I have a, I have a, you know, an embargo that's coming up in yeah. two days. I, I think I would be a little harsher. Do you think, did you have plenty of time to play it or were you rushed? Like how, how, what was kind of the set for how much time you had to play it? I definitely have had plenty of time to play it and I put a lot of hours into it. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, I have not finished it. Um, so maybe this all coalesces in a more interesting way at the end that I'm not aware of. But I, like I said, it, it's better than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I think any one of those systems taken in isolation isn't particularly well thought out and put and, and implemented in my opinion. And I don't think that's a function of me rushing or, I don't know, not giving it a fair shake. I do think I was accessing the game on its own terms, right? It was leading me through this journey on its own terms and and meeting out the information in its own way. Like 
the story is really goofy. It's very much a, a kid's story and a fairy tale, and that's fine. Uh, I don't think the dialogue is is very good. Um, but I was also, you know, I was reading all of it. I wasn't skipping through stuff. I wasn't rushing. I was luxuriating in it and I was picking up all the things and like going, finding the hidden chests. But even as I was finding the chest, like the game was not expressing to me why I was literally only opening chests because that's what you do in a video game. You know, it was very strange. And yeah, yes, I'm definitely not suggesting like that you're being overly harsh because I haven't played it. I don't know, but you know, I think you're right though. Like all games do this and I don't think that's necessarily a justification or anything, but it's interesting that that's kind of the thing that's jumping out at you while, pl- while playing it. Um, that's, you know, why are there chests here? And clearly, the, uh, is there a lot of voiceover in the game? Cause the first game oh. had a lot of characters voicing stuff. That's another thing. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, and I know that triggered like two other things that I want to say. I know we've already gone long on this, but, uh, the game, it has a, a str- I mean, this is very JRPG, old school JRPG as well. It does like snippets of voiceover in the context of one cutscene. It'll like start with voiceover and then phase it out. And then you're just reading and then it'll come back and there'll be a couple more lines where they're like, we recorded these ones too, guys, uh, which is, is really weird and jarring, but it, it feels like an old throwback to those old games where it's like, we can only afford, not f- afford like hiring people to do it, but afford our, uh, data wise fitting on the CD, you know, we can only afford this amount of voiceover, uh, in our, you might be right with the afford thing. Cause you know, uh, the cost isn't necessarily recording one voice actor. It's when you have to localize it in all the different territories that cost grows exponentially. I, I I don't remember, like I, I didn't get the sense that Nino Cooney one was dramatically successful when it came out. I played it and I enjoyed it. I had some issues with it. And I think the reviewers pretty much, we're fairly consistent with their criticism criticism of the game. And I wonder how much of what you're talking about with all these disparate modes and features is an expression of a team that maybe weren't expecting to get to make a sequel and they don't know if they're going to be able to make any others. So they just wanted to get all their ideas on screen. Maybe, um, maybe. Yeah, I mean, in that sense, I kind of admire it. Like the other thing that I just thought of, and I'm so glad I didn't forget to mention is it, it also has these like bonkers, Features like it, there's an entire Facebook in in the <laughs> game world. They call it like Leaf Book or Leaf Face or something like Face Leaf or something like that. The old papyrus book. And it's just like periodically it'll say, "Hey, there's been some new updates to Leaf Face or whatever it's called." And push you know push L three to check in, and it, you go to this menu, and it's like fake characters in the fake game world are posting pictures of places, and then there's like fake comments on all the pictures and it's just to i guess fill out some feeling that's that you're gonna, in a place that's gonna be re- that's gonna be a reaction to final fantasy 15 though i right. when that game came out here how many people were posting goofy bro selfies uh and you know how much free marketing is that for the game at that point i would imagine that uh you know a lot of developers looked at that and like how can we how can we get some of that viral social media action in our leaf book page <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing just feels like this weird mishmash of, of craziness. But I was like, I kept going, I keep, I want to keep playing this. I'm, I'm not disliking it. It's, it's a strange, like I said, it's better than the sum of its parts. And so I'm not as negative as I may sound. It's just the whole experience. I was like, what? Really? 
now you're introducing this? Like, like it's, it's, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I guess there's games like, um, like didn't Dragon Age 2 have that thing where like, okay, now you have a castle and you, you know, like 10 hours in or something, you have a castle and now you're able to do. I think one of the Assassin's Creed games did that a little bit too. Yes. Uh, I know Brotherhood, Brotherhood, you had your whole like Brotherhood of Assassins that you'd keep track of. Um, Yeah. You're right. I just and can't wait happen to until later. Part. Yeah, I'm looking forward to you getting into the part in Lino Kuni 2 when it turns into a first person loot shooter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a battle royale mode now. I don't know. It's like pick up your phone. Uh, you are now playing the next four hours on your phone. You're like, oh man, <laughs> it's kind of cool. Like, I, I, that's why I, I framed the whole conversation that way because it's like, is that neat? I mean, I know a lot of people were really lauding uh, near Automata for that whole very reason, where it's like the game keeps evolving as you play it, and you think it's this, and now it's this, and now it's this, and now it's this. So maybe that is cool. Like the the idea being that you are this king, this little boy king, and you end up having a cast a, a kingdom, and you're able to command that kingdom in a completely new style of gameplay. Like that's a a neat eventuality, and I guess maybe a spoiler that I've ruined for people, but I, I'm glad. I would have liked to have known that because it, it's like, oh, yes, there's a reason for you to pick up all these pebbles and shiny coral things because you're going to need them later. <laughs> a long time later. Anyway. All right. So I've buried the lead, uh, which is I got to play God of War hands on. Uh, Christian, did you are you sticking around? Or are you going to I'm going to play some Fortnite on my phone for a little bit. Fair enough. Hey, we should we should group up as, as if as if you weren't already doing that. No, I would, I would so I will say I will I will be very 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 careful with uh with spoilers for okay. God's text me when you're so done. Don't though. fret. All right. Okay. Um. So it's just us finally, Dave. Thank God. <laughs> that Christian so, guy's out of here. I think we got rid of the riffraff. He's such a sixteen. <laughs> He's such a 16. <laughs> um, so I, I will just come out and say right now, I think this God of War, I played the first two hours. It literally sat us down in front of the game at the start screen and let us play for two hours. So it is the first two hours of the game. And so I think there's, there's clearly a lot more of the game left to be played. I think a complete playthrough is like in the 40 hour range for this game. I, I see, I've seen, they said that publicly. That is almost unbelievable. It is, especially based on what I played. This is not a big open world sprawly game, unless somehow it turns into that later. Right now it is very much a focused experience. Um, I think this game has the potential to be one of those industry defining moments in video gaming where the whole industry sort of matures. Uh, there's, there's this sense of being able to say something in an artistic way that video games haven't before. Uh, it, it is really living up to the hype for me. It is a very special experience. I was moved while playing it even in early, in early moments. I mean, I'm definitely playing it in the context of being a father and it is very much a game about fatherhood. So mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt. You know, I'm certainly more, <laughs> more susceptible to those kind of emotions than most, but I, I would be hard pressed for anybody to not feel something even in just the first few moments of this game. It's a really powerful expression of, of video games. How did it compare and, to your experience playing last of us? Cause that was definitely a game that hit on that theme um, yeah. pretty overtly as well. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they are of a kind. I even mentioned Last of Us to Corey, um, when I spoke to him, uh, as feeling like, you know, this game and that game do definitely feel like they are working on a level that video games haven't really done before. You know, that it, you, you, we talk about games like, uh, even great games like Uncharted having this ludo narrative dissonance, right? Where like, you're a cool swashbuckling guy and you have a girl and there's, you got a, a crazy old uncle dude and you know, and, and you worry about people dying and then you murder 400 people in the face. Right. You know, it's like, uh, and nobody mentions it, you know, it's like, oh my God, y- your brother might die. It's like, yeah, but you just murdered 400 people. <laughs> That's like, hello. Mm-hmm. But last of us, was very much about the bleakness of that existence and the violence in last of us felt motivated in the game world and grounded. And, uh, it came from a place that was not ignored, right? It, it, you didn't have to have a dissonance. It was very much about what that world is about. Right. Yeah. And when you killed things that weren't zombies, they were, they were big moments. They were impactful moments. Yes, very much so. And that's what this God of War is like too. It is every bit an action game. It is every bit a fun, thrilling, really tightly designed third person action experience. The combat, which we can talk about in detail if you want, is great. It is great. And it feels very different from the old God of Wars, but really fun. I was thinking, like, I can't think of any other situation where, you know, someone who was, you know, part of the original creative force of a franchise goes away and, you know, Corey was the creative director on God of War 2. I think he left before God of War 3 hit and has been Mm -hmm. away for a while, is coming back to the franchise. I can't think of any other situations where that's happened. Um, That's really interesting. Yeah, he really talks honestly about that. Again, we have an interview with him at the end of the show uh, as bonus content, but he's very honest about how that process of going away and having a life informed what he wanted to do with this game. And it, you can really tell. I mean, it is, it seems like a very personal game. His, his wife, you know, speaks a language he doesn't speak and has taught a language he doesn't speak to his son. And in the game, the boy, can read a language that Kratos can't read, you know, and there are, it's definitely a a game about human feelings in the context of this larger than life battle torn world at a time when, you know, you killed things to survive. Right. And this is a shift from sort of the Greek mythology to if Norse was Norse. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, it's like Thor and, and Odin and that kind of, you know, Norse mythology now. Um, but it still feel, you know, it still feels like that rough and tumble world, but it is, it very much acknowledges that. And, and even as the game is action packed and full of thrilling minute to minute third person action gameplay, none of it feels like I have to disengage from what the game is talking about, which in a large sense is violence, you know, mm-hmm. is a sense of what that, means you know and it, it's so interesting thematically it's it's really powerful and i can only imagine where the game goes from what i saw as well you said it wasn't this big sprawling sort of open world game and definitely one of the things from the gameplay demos i've seen publicly is god of war as a franchise from even the first game was you know it was all about this huge epic in the real sense of the word scale environments 
where you know an entire level would be a boss fight and the boss yeah. is the level in in inverse is also the case but what i've seen of this it seems like the combat like the, the camera over the shoulder it's much tighter than the previous games uh it was is that your sense is that like is that part of the game is that redefining what it means to be god of war yeah in in a large sense yes i mean there are still these giant enemies and there are still very cinematic battles i mean i hope i hope that no one spoils some of the things that are in the first 2 hours for people because they will uh, they will but there there yeah. are, are moments that are that I wish existed in like a Superman movie. <laughs> like there are mm-hmm. fights that are, that feel like superheroes fighting each other that are so well executed and yet don't feel like cutscenes and don't feel like QTEs. But I was going to say like God of War in a lot of ways kind of popularized the quick time event for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, are there quick time events in this? No, not really. Uh, there are a couple of moments where it says, you know, press that to do that. But uh, sure. mostly you are inside the context of established mechanisms that have been expressed to you in the game, right? You're doing a thing because you know that's how you do that thing, even in the context of something that's grander than the normal moment-to-moment gameplay. Uh, but, but the thing, Dave, that I don't know, I, I don't know if you're aware of, uh, I was aware of but didn't realize – how big a deal it was is this game is one continuous unbroken shot. It is one. Right. Cause there's no cutscenes or no transitions between no cuts. There is no moment yeah. where the camera, the camera is controlled by the game. Well, not, that's not true. You you have the ability in a third person way to move it, but it is every moment is framed the way they want it to be framed. And there are, it's seamless. So the, the camera will sweep and move and rotate and do the, you know, God of War is famous for, for controlling the camera in a really cool way. This takes it to a whole other level. And the fact that there are no cuts, the fact that that one shot is always hovering there behind Kratos or in front of Kratos or moving through the environment to land on Kratos, it is, it's really, I cannot overstate what that does from a feeling perspective like you've never experienced a game that does that it it may not even seem like that big of a deal because it's like oh i played a ton of first person games where it feels like i'm still on the camera the whole time not like this this game the the opening uh menu is the first shot of the game and it never stops it never i mean you can you pop out to your menu to you know level up or whatever you do you know add change your gear or stuff Yes, but when in the context of playing the game, it is one continuous unbroken shot and it is an extraordinary feeling. It is really something and Corey talks about how hard it was to pull off. It, it it's it's so cinematic and so amazing. I am I was blown away by it. That's uh, really awesome to hear. I, I'm curious to see how much of uh you, you might talk about this in your interview with Corey later of you know, how much of that was that the sort of nexus, the idea of how they could reinvent this franchise? Yeah. I mean, he talks about how hard a thing it was, how stupid a decision it was, but how, how much he fought for it and what it meant to the production and how, how it complicated literally everything that they did, but how much he believed in it. And uh, I, I think it, it pays dividends. He says, 
I mean, I'm spoiling the interview now, but he says it's not something that you can put on a stat sheet or a bullet point or a, um, you know, it can show ROI or whatever for all the effort that it took, but it's this intangible that makes the entire experience. It, it enhances the entire experience in, in very, um, ephemeral ways, but very important ways, you know, but it sounds like it, it's, that's the visual idea of what God of War is now. And so when people see it, they're going to know what it is because it'll be unique. Yeah. Yeah. Very that's, much. So. That's, that's really cool. I cannot wait to try it out. I, I've been hearing rumblings that it was pretty special. Um, and the, and the, the, the fighting, the, the pure action of the game is really fun. I mean, you can throw your axe at any time. It, it, it gives you complete control over that. And when he is without his axe, he's still a badass. He's still able to pummel people with his fists. And in fact, there are times when you want to do that because punching actually, instead of hurting them so much, actually will increase a different meter, which uh, results in you being able to do finishing moves more quickly. So sometimes mm-hmm. you'll want to throw your axe and leave it thrown without recalling it Thor style uh, and just leave it out in the environment so you can just pummel guys with your fists. Uh, your son is never a problem. You never feel like you're in an escort quest. He's always able to take care of himself for the, you know, for the most part. And you're able to sort of ask him to shoot his arrow, to be a, a help to you, to distract uh, bad guys at certain points. It, it's kinetic. It's fun. I felt like my palms were sweating as I was fighting, even in early parts of the game, because it felt like the perfect balance of uh, uh, challenge and thrill. I mean, I just can't say enough good things about, the two hours I spent with God of War, it, it is, it's a really special game and I can't wait to play more of it. Let me bounce this idea off you. What if Kratos had three melee weapons and a ranged weapon <laughs> and you could swap between them to charge up? No. Oh, uh, only if you also got to play Pikmin later with him. Uh, <laughs> well, who knows? There's 45 hours of content. Perhaps yeah, that's, that's coming. That's Talking true. about the sun, the sun is kind of like the AI character. I assume he's always AI character. Um, I have no idea. But uh, hearing you talk about it, it made me think a little bit about Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite right. and kind of how she, she sort of inhabited this space. But uh, it was more about kind of upgrading you as the player intrinsically. How does that interplay between this non-playable character and you as Kratos in combat? How does that play out? Um, like, can you talk about like a fight that jumped out at you where you kind of used him? Yeah, I mean, you can use him in every fight, right? He, he, you are, con- you have a button that is devoted to asking him to do things. So your square button is basically always him. And whether that's asking him to like, you know, drop a, a rope down because he's in a better spot because he's, he was smaller and able to get there or in a context of a fight, it's, Hey, shoot your arrow at this bad guy to distract them. And his arrows actually fill up the meter that lets you do um, uh, finishing moves as well. So cool. it's very strategic. And is it contextual? So he does different things depending on what um, what you need him to do. Do you always know what you, your son will do when you hit that button? Or is it kind uh, of a ask for help and you might not know what he will do? Most of the time you have a good sense of what he will do. And in, in fact, the game as Kratos is like teaching him – how to be a warrior. It's also informing the game, the player, what the kid will do. You know, it's like Kratos is like, always attack new abilities. Yeah. Always attack the guy that I'm not on. So, you know, he's, 
so he's distracted or like he Kratos is like instructing the boy and you, and you, the player are like, Oh, okay. So that's what he's going to do. And the, in the, it's so well done. Um, so you said there's no fails that like, it wasn't an escort quest. It didn't feel like an escort quest. Uh, are there fail states? Like, can the sun die? Like, how does that work? What's I don't the risk? think that, I don't think the sun can die independent of Kratos dying. Um, I, I think there are moments where the sun can be in peril and you feel a sense of urgency to help him out. But I don't believe that there's ever a moment where it's like game over if Kratos isn't the one that went to zero health. Um, so I think you, you are always in control of whether or not you succeed or fail in the game. Um, and, uh, and I think that's good, right? I, I mean, he, you still feel this sense. I mean, the game does a great job of instilling a sense of, uh, care and, and ownership over the boy and wanting to, to, to make sure he's okay. But it does that through storytelling and not through like game over. You let him die, <laughs> you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So some uh, of the previous God of War games, it, there was, they were very adult, but in Sonic kind of almost, not meaning like an adult yeah. with family, but there were like sex mini games and stuff like that. And it was, there was gratuitous. It reveled in it, in, in the, the setting it was at. Yeah. Does this game feel more like adult? Like you talked about yourself as like now a father. Um, yeah. Is, is that kind of how you would describe it? Very much so. Yeah. I mean, it it is, it feels grown up it feels mature it feels uh smart it feels grounded it feels um it, it feels like a piece of art honestly it it really feels like a a thing that was written by people that understand how to write character and story and present it in compelling ways i mean it it, it does not it feels like an antidote to all of that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. truly, and a, and a, and really a reaction to it. Like this is Kratos in a different part of his life with different responsibilities, you know. And I think I, I venture to guess that's a lot of how Corey himself is, right? He's he's an older person. He's grown up, and a lot of us have grown up with video games. And there was a time in our life where all we cared about were you know smacking stuff and looking at boobies, and now it feels like oh, the world is more interesting than that more deeper than that you know yeah see i look at it it's it's not an either or it, it's anything it just shows that gaming is the diversity of experiences that you can have playing games is is wider obviously there was a stuff recently where they you know there was the footage of a bunch of violent video games being showed for very specific reasons and then there's yeah. kind of a counter to it that, that no no games can be art games can, can be important and and i never i don't ever like to get into the the either or conversation. I, to me, I think it's awesome. Games can be both of those things. Games can be gratuitous yeah. and games can be heart wrenching. And I think that's right. cool. I mean, we, we spent how much of this podcast talking about Fortnite, and you know, people can have an emotional response to watching Ninja pull off a crazy victory Royale out of nowhere, pulling off this crazy. It's, it's all about emotion, right? And anything that can, right. can drive an emotional response, whether it's, you know, you, know, you were talking about your your palms, you know, almost sweating from the excitement of playing the game, or even a tender moment between a father and a son. I think that's that's awesome. That's why I like games, and that's why, in a lot of ways, uh, they're the medium of the future. I agree. Yeah, well said. All right, let's pull Christian back in. Um, I mean, I think I I think I could talk to you about this for. <laughs> four more hours, but, uh, we've gone on quite long, it's, it's uh, but I love soon. your perspective. It's out soon, right? 
It is. Yeah. It's like April something. That's, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And it, and it, it clearly feels done. You know, I mean, it is, uh, it, it, it yeah, it's going to be a very special game. I hope it sells like gangbusters. And, um, I think, uh, I think a lot of people are going to be blown away as I was by it. Oh, blown away. Dang it. I'm yeah, just excited that Kratos can build his own kingdom now as well. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's good. Six hours in, he's building his own kingdom, Christian. It's crazy. Uh, all right. Um, let us, I want to thank our uh, last sponsor, which is Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace. Squarespace has been uh, I, I, a sponsor of my stuff and, and shows I've been associated with since I've known you, David. It's It's been like over 10 years. Uh, yeah. And and I'm so happy about that because I can thoroughly and confidently recommend Squarespace to anybody that has any reason to make something online. It really is the easiest way to create an online website or presence of any kind, be that just a blog or, uh, you know, a portfolio, online portfolio, or if you're doing something more complex, like actually trying to sell something online, Squarespace makes all of that easy. You start with a, a template and then you, you just drag and drop what you need. You build, uh, using their very, very easy to use tool set, you build your site on the go and you make it your own. You make it look great so easily just by dragging and dropping. You can put in a, uh, a storefront uh, really easily if you need to sell things. It's great. You never have to patch anything or upgrade ever. You've got free and secure hosting. There's built-in search engine optimization and analytics that help you grow in real time. It's so cool. And everything is optimized. Talking about Fortnite on mobile, Squarespace has been optimized on mobile for years. Uh, they're the first people that did it. It doesn't matter what device you look at a Squarespace site on. It's always going to look great. Make it. Make it yourself. You don't have to hire a, a very expensive website designer. Just make it yourself. You'll make it beautiful. JeffCanada.com was designed and housed on Squarespace if you want to check that out. Uh, it's so great. Check it out yourself. Squarespace.com. You get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, when you're ready to launch your site, you can build your site completely for free. There's no charging of anything to build your to build your site to use their tools. And then when you're ready, use the promo code Jeff sent me J E F F S E N T M E, and you that's all one word, and you will get ten percent off your order. That's pretty darn good. So uh, check them out, Squarespace.com. That promo code is Jeff sent me. Build it, make it beautiful. Make it yourself. All right, man. This this show was really a fun one uh, with a great guest, and we we went sprawling all over the place and have gone on really long. So we're not going to do some of our normal segments, but uh, I think it's worth it because we spent the time talking about the stuff that's really important. And I'm so grateful, David Ellis, that you were here with us. Thank you so much for being on the show. This was a ton of fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It has been far too long, and I had a blast. Yes, it has definitely been far too long. And I need to see you in person, too. I hope that happens soon as well. Um, in the meantime, why don't you tell people where they can keep up with you and the wonderful things that you create? 
So probably your best bet is going to be on Twitter, and, and I'm easy to remember. I'm just at David Ellis. Uh, I do have a public page on Facebook as well. I think it's David Ellis 343. I don't update that nearly as much as I should, so maybe I can use this as an impetus, especially with GDC going on this week. I, I, I try to focus the things I've posted in the past there, uh, mostly about game development. And so if there are any good talks, uh, I have a couple of friends that are giving talks at GDC this week. So whenever that stuff gets made public, maybe I'll share those on Facebook. But uh, uh, twitter.com slash David Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, is uh, by far the best uh, location. Well, we certainly hope that we get to hear about what you guys are making over there at 343 very soon because it's always a, a, an exciting time. Um and we do have our parting gift coming up and that bonus content with Corey Barlog. So stick around for that. Christian Spicer, what have you got going on this week? Well, you can play Fortnite with me. Uh, eMoney TVS, I think is my, uh, epic name. Um, yeah, I, I, let's, let's, let's squat up. And, uh, Twitch is twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. And Twitter's at Spicer. I'm trying to think what else. I'll be at Flappers on the 24th if you're in the LA area. This week's ALTMM is my um, parting gift to Toys R Us. I get oh, pretty so sad and pretty sad. Yeah, partway. <laughs> part I was like, as I'm talking about my memories there, I'm just like, oh man. That <laughs> like, means we really... all we all finally have to grow up because we're not yeah. Toys R Us kids anymore. It's hard, dude. It's hard. Um, that'll be out on the patron feed on Tuesday and on the uninformed opinions feed on uh, on Friday. And I think that's. I think that's good. Yeah. Jeff, what about you? Well, uh, you can listen to me talk about movies and TV shows on the Slash Filmcast. Um, this week, I was actually just up in Seattle for Dave Chen of the Slash Filmcast wedding, which was really, really fun. Um, so it I looked like a good time and everyone seemed pretty happy. It Why did was you give it four out of five stars, though. I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, the mise en was. Was was super obvious. predictable, so predictable. Yeah. I mean, a kiss really. Yeah. You may kiss the bride. <laughs> so trite and played out. Am I right, guys? <laughs> uh, but you should check that out over at slashfilmcast dot com. I think we're reviewing Death of Stalin this week. Um, oh, yeah. I will definitely be checking that out. And if you want to hear me make 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 of the comedy uh, and talk about science, I do it on a show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. I'd urge you to check that out. Also, I don't know if I'm even allowed to mention this yet, but I'm going to sort of obliquely say uh, you should be – if you're going to PAX East, uh, I will be there, and I will be in a panel, and that panel will be on Thursday. The, the schedule is out. So if you look at all the panels on Thursday and you look at what would be the panel I would be most excited to be on, it's that one. So uh, hopefully – it's, it's PAX East, right? PAX East. Is another nor'easter storm hitting there or anything like that while you're there? A uh, storm? Yeah. Uh, there may be a storm. There may be some you, kind of – I hope travel is good. Can you at least confirm there will be awkward questions asked during said panel? Uh, yes, we will. I mean, I will be moderating it, so I will bring Excellent. my own awkward questions, but also I'm Excellent. sure there will be Q&A that will, that will cover that for sure. But hopefully, if you're going to PAX East, I, we're also doing a We Have Concerns panel on Friday, um, but I'm hoping uh, to be able to announce the cool panel I'm doing on Thursday um, that is has me very, very uh, excited. So I hope to see you guys there as well. Um, and you know, we've got, uh, we've got 
Corey coming up at the end of the show. So let's wrap things up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. David, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yes, it's going to be a little unusual, but my suggestion is your local public library. Ah. The library was very important to me growing up. My parents used to take me and my brothers to the library. We'd go once a week. Um, they didn't make us, you know, check out any specific book, but we could get kind of whatever we wanted to. And that's helped me discover my love of reading. Definitely got access to you know, science fiction that I wouldn't have access to uh, otherwise. There were movies that I actually became aware of through the novelization of the book when I was a kid. So, wow. um, you know, public library was important to me growing up. And uh, I actually still have my library card. I still use it to this day. And in fact, they're even more useful now than they were then because libraries have gone digital. Mm. Um, you can, you know, check out eBooks. You can get them put on your Kindle, on your iOS device, whatever. There's an app called Hoopla, which you may have heard of. You can actually log in with your library account and actually stream videos like a Netflix. But wow. it's uh, for your library. And I actually find they have a really great selection of old Disney movies, which I love. And uh, I've enjoyed watching a bunch of those. Also, you can gain access through your library through things you might not even realize. Did you know, you can probably, if you have a library card, access consumerreports.com for free. So if you're checking out a new washer, dryer, or your toilet just broke like mine did and you had to try to research what's a good toilet to get, I used my library card to access Consumer Reports. So an unusual one, but the library, not sexy, but pretty dang useful. I think it's sexy. Um, It's funny. You know, there was a long long time in my life where I didn't go to the library, but now that I have uh, my my son – we have rediscovered the library because it, they do all kinds of really wonderful things for young kids and they have, you know, readings and story time and stuff. And the fact that my son has a un, insatiable need for books. And at a certain point you're like, I just gotta, I can't buy more <laughs> books in this house. Um, and it's so great, man. I love having rediscovered the library because it's such a, a, a place of wonderful, joyous memories of, of my younger days. I'm glad to be revisiting it. So I think that's a great suggestion. Christian, do you have a parting gift for the people? I do. I, uh, my wife and I watched Good Time last night. It's Dynamite! The, no, not that one. It's it, Dynamite, it, right? Nope. You're no, moving on up. Nope, nope, yeah. nope. It's Robert Pattinson. And, uh, uh, holy moly, is he incredible in this film. I, I knew very little about it. I, we actually have a video rental shop in my neighborhood that uh, we go to. I, I like taking the girls there and they can pick out a movie, something fun and nostalgic in that for me. And the box art is was cool and it kept grabbing me. It's a new movie. It just came out uh, not too long ago. Um, wow. It, it's hard for me to say that it's good because it's so claustrophobic and oppressive and it's like very much presents the a real world kind of thing. Like everything's dirty and people aren't having a great life. Um but Robert Pattinson's performance in it, it, performance in it is incredible. I really loved the score, the lighting, the tension of what's happening. It's it's definitely worth a watch. Just don't feel I don't think you'll come out of it thinking like, man, life is great. <laughs> Which sometimes we look for in our escapism. But uh, it's called Good Time, and it's available to rent now. And I I highly recommend it, if nothing else, as just a a study in film and what can be done in the medium. So basically, what you're saying is, it's dynamite. 
I'm saying it's more dynamite than the crap you're about to talk about. <laughs> well, my parting gift, is, Christian and I have disagreed very vehemently about this, but here we are on a video game podcast, and uh, our friend, friend of the show, Aaron Morales, also agrees with me. So I felt emboldened to put this on my parting gift because Christian and I got into a uh, a real a, a real uh, a real fight about this one. Um, to be fair, hold on one second. To be fair, I someone had told me that you liked it. And then I was talking to friends. I was like, oh, wait, Jeff's coming. Let me get this out now before you get there. And then you walked in like after 20 minutes. I'd already built up a head of steam. And you walked in and went, are you talking about that? I like it. And I was like, here it goes. (laughs) It's the Tomb Raider movie. Uh, I saw it. It just came out this weekend um, with uh, Alicia Vikander as as, uh, the new Lara. And this is the reboot based on the reboot. It's kind of... It's funny. It's like a derivative of a derivative of a derivative of a derivative, right? Because the first Tomb Raider video game is ba- is derivative of Indiana Jones, and the second Tomb Raider reboot is derivative of uh, Uncharted, which is derivative of Tomb Raider, and then this is derivative of that video game. So you know, understand you're going in. It's many things removed from anything, you know. As original, it's an action adventure centipede. Yes, yes, eating its own whatever. Um, <laughs> I had fun with it. I, Christian disagrees with me vehemently, but I, I, I had fun with it. I thought it wasn't, um, it didn't actively insult my intelligence. There's some stuff that's goofy in it, but for the most part, it's really fun. And if you're a fan of those reboot Tomb Raider games, as we already mentioned, we are. I, I think it does a really cool job of referencing all the important stuff from those games and kind of contextualizing it and, and making a fun thrill ride. It, it actually has a cool twist at the end. I thought it was fun. I'm a big Walter Goggins fan. Does he get to chew up some scenery? He is amazing. He's one of my favorite actors as well. And yeah, he's so fun and he gets to be uh, you know, mustache twirling bad guy, which is great. Excellent. Uh, he's an incredible actor and uh, <laughs> this film gives him no reason to do the things that he does. It doesn't explain why he's where he is. Who he is, what he is, he's literally just a mustache twirling, uh, villain who literally walks around with his, like, hand on his hip, ready to draw! Ready to draw! I think if you're a fan of those games, you really love them, uh, go play those games. So basically, <laughs> if I could sum up your review, Christian, it is not dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, all right, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to David Ellis and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks uh, in our chat rooms as we streamed live that also hung out with us. We really appreciate you sticking around and listening to the show in real time, making it better by being here. Uh, thanks to all of you that have downloaded the show as well. You are the wind beneath our wings. We appreciate you. Um, don't forget, if you want to send uh, parting gifts of your own, you can do that at dlcfeedback at gmail.com or questions or comments or anything you'd like. Uh, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is the place to do that. Uh, thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star as well. We'll see you next week. Stick around. we got bonus content coming up with Corey Barlog. But until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. I'm here with Corey Barlog, the director of the new God of War game, and I just played about two hours of the beginning of the game. I was blown away by it. It it really feels like the next step in where games are going, and there's a lot of reasons behind that, but first I want to talk 
about tone. Uh, it's an amazing thing to take a game that's known for its violence and its kineticism and its sort of old school action nature and do this to it. <laughs> what was the process in reinventing God of War and what were the things that you thought were essential to bring into this game and the things that you wanted to, to change and, and reinvent? Ooh, well, thank you. We worked really hard on this to find the mixture that maintained sort of the phrase I've been using since the beginning of the game was the familiarly different, right? To look at God of War and know that when I came back, I saw not only myself, but all the developers I had worked with for so many years, way back on the first game, we've all changed, right? We've all grown. We've all uh, kind of moved on in our lives, and, and it kind of made us realize, like, oh, man, making God of War was like our college years. Like, God of War 1 was the stay up all night, thumb your nose at the man. Like, everything is to try to just top ourselves and, and just better than anybody else can do, right? It had that kind of almost like confrontational creativity. Uh, and, you know, as I come back, I realize, like, okay, like, things are more measured. Like, we all are starting to think about things a little bit more. We all play different games now. And, and, and there's a great mixture in the studio of new young blood coming in that have a completely different perspective on things. And when we all started talking about this, it made me realize, like, man, we can we could do something that stays true to this franchise, that, that has that DNA of what God of War is. But we can really, almost through the looking glass, imagine it in this upside-down sort of way, right? Which was a cornerstone, I think, of what God of War 1 was, when we said, we're going to look at the mechanics of games we love, that we grew up on, and we're going to say, we're going to take that mechanic, and we're going to flip it upside-down, and we're going to try something different with it. Um, we sort of did the same thing, of like, what's necessary to keep and then what can we just reimagine in our own sort of way? It was very difficult and rewarding. I feel like I took on a, a war on like 500 fronts to take <laughs> on this game because everything was reimagined or at least looked at and said, we can make this better, but how? Uh, and I don't recommend anybody to ever do that again. <laughs> well, it's an extraordinary thing because it, it does feel like to me, it, it is this maturization of video games as a whole in a lot of ways. And to do it with this franchise seems so bold. Uh, and, and I really want to talk about violence because here's a series that is it, – it kind of – it glorifies violence. It revels in violence. It, there's, a, there's a visceral thrill in playing any God of War game. And that's still in this game. But even in the two hours that I played – there is definitely a discussion that the game is having about violence and what that means and what that means to an adult, what that means to a child. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that and where you think the, what the game is saying about that. It's uh, Like I said, I, I think when I came back, that realization of while I was away, I feel like creatively I matured probably a thousand years uh, just because of the people that I worked with and the things that I learned and that first sort of uh, set of meetings that we, we talked about, the, the game, context was such an important thing for me. As I started to look at it, I realized that, you know, when we were in our sort of frenetic God of War 1 times, it was, look at this, this is crazy. Everything sort of began with, wouldn't it be crazy? Those were sort of the, the, the pitch sessions. Uh, this would be fun. This would be awesome. Uh, and as we started to look at this game, fun was first and foremost. But then as you start to extend beyond, you start looking at, like, what is the context? Why? Right? Why 
is such a simple thing, but also such an amazingly strong driver. When you're playing a game and you don't have a strong why, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And it's not the immediate pellet of, oh, go talk to this person. Why overall? Why am I doing any of this? You find that games that don't have a strong why, experiences that don't have a strong why, you sort of lose interest. They become this weird facade and empty. And it's violence is, I think, no different that we are telling a, a, a period piece of a time period that is a very you know, live-by-the-sword kind of place. Like, this is not a forgiving world. It's not a friendly world. But there is an interesting sort of conversation you can have about that to see that it is not always what we think it is, right? Kratos, in the early years of his life, in the sort of early games of the Greek era, was the monster all the time. He let out rage and never really had a balanced aspect to that. There was no human side. There was rage all the time, which became a negative, right? It became that he's a one-dimensional character. That was an interesting challenge to take on to then see, can he actually have, which I truly think this is something that is a great lesson for people, that you can have strength and vulnerability coexist, not as diametrically opposed concepts, but as truly sort of the fully formed human. That, 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 that sense that we relate to each other because of, I think, a balance between vulnerability and real, right? Nobody is perfect. Nobody is without failure. And I think that concept of being open to the failure, right, is how we relate, at least, I mean, even to our kids, like to my father, uh, the same way, to my son, the same thing, that sense that you cannot grow up in an environment in which everything is great and I am perfect and nothing is wrong, right? That's terrible because you're not having the human experience, the connections to other people. And I think for us, we wanted to approach every single aspect of the game with that in mind. This idea that it is okay to look at all aspects, to experience emotionally all of these aspects while you're doing this. Yeah, it's amazing. Even in the first two hours... Um that feeling that it seems like Kratos at first is teaching his son to shut out any of that sensitivity and vulnerability and don't feel. It's and a it, great, like, bad lesson, right? Yeah. It's like you've got to start off in this place for him that's like, okay, this feels like what he would say. That's his life. It's like, look, close your heart to it. Close your heart to everything. It's like, what a terrible lesson for fatherhood. But that's a great place for him to start. Because you gotta go through it. You gotta experience that. That's not actually the greatest thing. There's a nugget of it. In order to survive in a harsh world, uh, sometimes you do have to figure out how to move forward. But I think processing, dealing with it, and pushing through it, rather than avoiding it or closing your eyes to it, is the lesson that everyone has to learn, right? And it's a lesson he never learned. I mean, the previous games was, you know, erase my memory so I didn't experience any of the horrible things I did, or it's your fault, right? He never was like, look, I'm sort of responsible for this. I need to I need to deal with it. I need to process the, the death of my family. Mm-hmm. He never really did. He just ran away from it all the time. Now, at this time, he has to figure out, okay, look, I want to teach my son how to not make the mistakes I made. Right, which means he's got to kind of deal with a lot of these things, maybe things he's not ready to deal with. But that's to me, that's the drama. That's the interesting aspect. That's the real character meat. Yeah, it's it's to me as well. I mean, you, last time we spoke at, at E3, we talked a lot about fatherhood. I'm I have a 18 month old at home and a, and a second one on the way. And, and you're a father. And Whoa, second one on the way. I know I'm crazy. I, it's I, I 
luckily, this game's uh, release date got pushed up <laughs> right before my, my daughter will be here. Oh, good. All right, good. We did that for you. I very much appreciate that. Um, but we talked a lot about fatherhood. You just brought up fatherhood. This game clearly is about fatherhood in a lot of ways, and it seems like it's a very personal game for you and, and other members of the team that are parents. Um, it's not really something that you see video games tackle very often, and I think uh, it's a, it seems like a very powerful message. It, it, are there other... Uh, other mediums that you have gotten inspiration from on this topic specifically because video games don't usually deal with it so much? I mean, or is it just more of your own life? I mean, it's, it's our lives, but it's our lives from multiple angles too. It's like my sort of relationship with my parents when I was a kid inspires a lot of these things. The, uh, many people on the team, their relationship with their parents or their relationship with their kids, right? Like Like little stories you catch in the hallway when someone says this happened, you're like... Can I use that? That's great. I'm gonna. Uh, we're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna use that. And then both of the writers have sons, and they have their own sort of personal things that they're bringing. They're saying things like, "I, I had that time when my dad had that, had that giant axe, and he was attacking that yeah. huge troll." And yeah. it's like all the things that we're normally experiencing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have you heard that thing where people are saying that throwing hatchets or throwing axes is actually like a stress relief? What? Yeah, there's some like weird study that just came out recently that says like doing this. And then I was in New York, and there's actually like a, a hatchet throwing like like like. Uh, I, I guess like a, a retail thing where you go and you experience shooting uh, a bow and arrow and you throw hatches and stuff like that. I was like, oh, people are saying it's like, oh, it's very stress relieving. It's good for balancing. I was like, oh, of course it is, right? Because Kratos is not very stressed out guy. He's throwing the axe all the time. <laughs> yeah. And I have like this new mechanic. I'm running around the world throwing the axe. And I'm like, this is a stress relief. I'm feeling very calm throwing the axe around. Yeah, virtual axes work as well. Right. Virtual and <laughs> real life axes all relieving the stress. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but there, you know, I read uh, Cormac McCarthy right before I came back. And I think that was a big kind of influence as far as, oh, wow, this is such an incredibly personal, incredibly touching story. Um, and I was like, oh, that's fascinating because it is in such a very unrelenting world, right? And reading the early Walking Dead comics as well, uh, the sort of journey that uh, Carl and Rick go on in the comic is a lot darker yeah. than in the show. And uh, it's like, oh, these are these are really interesting character interactions. They allow for a glimpse into your character that you don't normally get, right? The relation between say, two characters that either just met or are friends is vastly different to the sort of mentorship relationship of I'm responsible for who you become, right? And to take Kratos and put him in a position in which he is terrible at being responsible for who he became. Yeah. became. So, like, to have to pass something on, you know, it's like right in the beginning, this sort of, like, you know, telling his son to control his anger. It's like, uh, pot, kettle, black, what's up here, right? But... That's the weird thing about parenting is that don't do what I do, right. right? I'm trying to teach you not to make the mistakes. And it's like that click of all the times my dad had that conversation with me and me going like, eh, right? And I'm realizing, oh, wow, yeah. unbelievable. You were right. And it's like that it, it is it is such a fascinating thing, right? Because ten years ago, I would not have been able to understand that. Right. Yeah, I, I often tell my own father that the process of becoming a dad is just the slow realization of how right you were. <laughs> you know? Um, and I love that we can have conversations like this about a video game, because it is all too rare, and I think that's why this God of War feels like this next place of video games uh, arriving into a, a more mature, interesting, 
uh, narrative. But <laughs> having said that, I want to talk a little bit about the things you normally talk about with video games, with sort of the technical stuff. Um, on a certain level, it is also very impressive that this game is all one continuous, unedited uh, shot. Right, and that was something you've talked about before. It's something that you were very conscious about wanting to do. Can you talk about that decision, why you made it, and any challenges that it presented in in designing the game? I made it because I'm very stupid. Uh, <laughs> like honestly, it, it it was something I had been chewing on for a while before I came back to Santa Monica, and I pitched it to a few people at different studios, and they all kind of gave me that like, "Why? What are you talking about? That's weird." Uh, I don't see the benefit, right? And even here, there was a little bit of that, but this place, this place is, is so unique. Like Santa Monica, especially, this feeling of total support by the publisher. Like Sony, I've never worked anywhere where they're like, they let you take the flying leap, right? They're going to, obviously, everybody here has opinions. Everybody's going to share their opinions, but at the same time, they have this incredible respect for the creatives and this sort of faith that, hey, you let people go do what they're going to do and they're going to make something great. And that freedom really allowed us to go like, all right, I really want to push for this. And, you know, it took a long time to convince various members of the team to get everybody on the same page. Literally 10 minutes ago, just had a conversation with somebody on the team who finally played through everything, did the 100% playthrough, 43 hours, got the 100% playthrough and said, I get it now. I get the one shingle shot. Like I gotta say, I was I kept quiet. I didn't tell you, but I didn't believe this was the smart thing to do. I was saying, why are we spending all this time on this? He's like, I totally get it. The overall experience, it just felt more intimate, more personal. You never look away from the experience, and I was like, that. Literally, you can't sum it up any better. That 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 feeling is something you can't plan for. You cannot put it on an ROI sheet. You can't tell people. You can simply say, trust me. I know it's going to be hard, and, and we will work our asses up. And when we get to the end, the, the, the end result is so much better than the sum of its parts. It's not about adding it all up. And it, it, it was at no part easy. <laughs> not, not one single aspect of this was like, cool, this is so simple. There was challenges unseen like all the way through it. But I feel like what we did in this game specifically – the story being so much more close and intimate and personal, it had to be the sort of first time that we did it. It really, you can feel it, even in the first two hours that I played it, you, you really do feel it. And it's funny because I feel like the first God of War, the way it handled camera was a revolution at that time. You know, it's sort of, it, it feels like the spiritual successor to even that that idea. But how how you direct every single moment, I mean, can you speak about some of those specific challenges about that? All right, so I have this... The, the the first time I think it hit me, because I was a little bit bravado, like, don't worry, this is all good. Like, I just telling everybody, it's all good. I got this, <laughs> right? Uh, but there was a little voice in my head that, like, okay, this is going to be a little bit harder than you think. And it was the first day on set uh, for the first mocap shoot with all the actors, right? So I had uh, four actors. One of them was nine years old. Uh, <clears throat> and we we had to build a set, so we had to change height which, you know, in mocap, it's a little bit bigger deal than just, like, going and setting a camera down and shooting what's there because you got to line up with a 3D world. And so you're grabbing something on a shelf on the second floor of a set there. It's really complicated to build all that stuff. Fortunately, I just was not on the set while all the people were doing the hard work, and I show up, and everything's great. <laughs> uh, and kind of talk to all the, the actors, talk them through the scene, work with uh, the camera uh, cameraman, Doria Razi, and we talked about what we we're going to do. We had done previs, so we prepared really heavily for this. We were all like, all right, we're going to, we got this. 
call to action. First scene was four and a half minutes long. So right away, it was starting to sink in a little bit. as like minute two of the first thing, and I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I have 40 notes, right? Like, minute two, I've already got 40 notes that I'm putting in my head. I'm trying to remember all the things that I want to, to sort of adjust and call cut at the end of that one. And I think it just all washed over me all at one moment where I just was quiet. And I kind of looked around for a second. I was like, I can't share this with anybody because they're going to lose complete faith in me if I tell them, like, what the hell did I just do? <laughs> so I run around and start giving direction to everybody. And, you know, the, and I get given direction to Chris, and he seems all right. And I wait, and the last person I talk to is Sonny. And I can see his eyes glazing over like halfway through the direction and realizing like I'm giving him four and a half minutes of direction that he's going to have to remember in the order while also remembering the crazy blocking that we've done and to stay out of the way of the camera guys. The camera guy is going to move through all there. And I'm like, man, this is insane. So I had to like we re-strategize immediately, delegate three other people. I'm like, you're taking this actor, you're taking this actor, you're taking this actor. So we would just I would like group with them. So I'd call cut tell everybody the things that I was thinking and then they'd kind of give their feedback and I'm like, go. Then they'd all run to the different actors and kind of do that. I'd powwow with the cinematographer as well as then the actor that I was kind of working with and then do like a broad thing to everybody and say, great job, let's do it again, right? <laughs> and that you're trying to get four performances perfect in one take. And, and I mean, again, this is like, this kid is nine years old. Like he's done one thing prior to this, but it's a testament to the very lucky choices i think that we've made that i had such tremendous performers uh that they nailed it like like i was struggling to keep up with them i think they 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 continue to make me look good well the game makes you look good as well i i'm like i said i can't wait to play the full thing it is it's extraordinary and i really appreciate you spending time talking to me about it thank you thank you very much